to the Mortal Realms, an Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the storm keep this episode are... Uh, my name is Paul, and did you guys know that they actually have accountants for the Stormcast? I didn't know. No. They're, they're called decimalators. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and I'm Aaron. And which fashion will we be covering today? The answer may shock you. <laughs> and I'm Will, longtime listener, first time host, and I promise that I'm not going to get too thunderstruck. <laughs> you can't promise that. <laughs> In this episode, we cover the lore of the Stormcast Eternals Battle Tome. Get ready to hear a whole lot of Drake, Imagine Dragons, and Dragon Force. And then, if we have time after all that, we'll talk about those Sigmarines. Uh, just to pause, I want to call it the fact that I. I'm going to, I use Sigmarines because I don't think after this book anyone will ever be able to call them Sigmarines ever again. So I think this is the official last time that this term can ever be used. Nice. Hey guys, how are you doing? Good. Doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, everyone, uh, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I am back. I know we had a lot of fun <laughs> in my absence. Yeah, back at you back, in fact. Um, but uh, the party's over. Uh, the cat has returned. The mice can no longer play, uh, and I'm here to crack that whip and get us back under control. So I, we're gonna we're gonna lock it up. We're gonna have a serious, no nonsense uh, story phase with my two friends, uh, Paul and Will. Um, what the audience may say, you may be wondering to yourselves, uh, Will. That's a name I, I don't necessarily recognize. Um, first of all, you're telling on yourself because that means you haven't been listening to a, a little ditty I like to call "Path to Story." A new podcast that um, these two are, are are have generated, uh, created from the from the muck, um, and uh, are kicking off the ground, and it's really awesome. And so I figured I, I, we got to bring the two of them on the story phase. Obviously, Paul's here every time. I feel like I, I don't want to undersell that, but uh, <laughs> uh, to to give us a glimpse into the the things that they're up to over on that path to story. So uh, with that long winded and rambling introduction. Guys, I want to I want to know more about this path to story. Pretend I haven't listened, which I have. I, honest to God, heart, hand on my heart, I have listened to everything that's been out. Welcome. So, uh, path to story is a path to glory narrative Age of Sigmar podcast. So it's kind of you know how when Games Workshop makes a new race, they kind of take something that you already know. And then they twist it like 45 degrees and then they're like, okay, we've got something new. So we're going to release that. Yeah, that's basically exactly what we did. <laughs> so we, uh, we have a lore podcast here on the Mortal Realms of the Story Phase. And this is a lore podcast uh, where we game in order to create our lore. So this is something that like Aaron is probably completely terrified of. Wait a second, so you guys have to play games? <laughs> no, right? Yeah. And we There's have to have game models? No, yeah. no, thank you. Yeah, exactly. So um, Hard pass. We've even done conversions. Mm-hmm. A lot of conversions. I, uh, I'm sorry, I just blanked out for a second. It's, it's good. It's okay, though. Uh, so what, how, where are we at with this path to story? Tell me how far we've come. What, what, what do you got? Give me a glimpse into what you guys are actually, like, what you're doing, doing. So I think at this point, it's fair to say that we have got all the introductory stuff out of the way. Um, we are going to be releasing episode two, which has already been recorded. So the, the long-winded explanation of why we exist and who we are. And we should also very much mention... Um, that we are missing the third member of our podcast, uh, which is Spencer. 
And Spencer is an indispensable part of our podcast. And I'm not joking. (laughs) I know, right? I worked on that super hard for like 0.3 seconds. Um, Because uh, Spencer's job, um, and which she is very good at, is to tell us to be quiet when we are being ridiculous and (laughs) ununderstandable, which is super important. Um, uh, So, Will, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So... Like part of what Spencer does is fill the role of reminding us that not everyone listens to the Mortal Realms podcast. <laughs> Excuse me, horror. Right, oh right, my goodness, right. they're they're out there, and some people who may be listening and may be wanting to get into the hobby may not have all of this background lore on the Mortal Realms, on the Age of Sigmar, on how the game works as a whole, and she she really gets us to take a step back and when we say something like Sigmar and Dracothian and Olgu and Gur to stop what we're doing, explain what we're saying to make sure that we're not speaking a foreign language. It, it, it's very helpful. Uh, and if you're into your lore, which I assume you are, if you're listening to the story phase and you like to hear people play narrative gaming, definitely check us out. Um, yeah. after story. You guys heard it here first, unless of course You've already listened to it, in which case you heard it there first. And here second. And here and, second. And maybe in our Discord, the MortalRealms.com slash Discord third, maybe. Oh, no. yes. In that in that order of operations. Perfect. Um, I have, I've listened to everything you guys put out so far. I've enjoyed it. Um, I'm very interested in Path to Glory, but I do, I, guys, I, I just don't have time to play the games. Um, <laughs> and so this is going to be my... My not introduction, but like I'm going to live vicariously through you. What what better way to live vicariously through some folks is through narrative gaming, uh, podcasting. Sweet, uh, yeah. So I'm excited to see what what you uh, what your folks are gonna what you're gonna end up doing with it. I can't wait to see where it goes. Me too. But now that that's out of the way, we also we're, we're still going to gab before we actually get to the story phase. I'd love to hear maybe just a, a quick blurb, a quick delve into what you guys have been up to in the hobby. Um, let's start with Will. Who's, yeah. who's the guest? Like you know, like the guest. Guest first. Um, yeah, first. What you what you been working on? So I've been working on Stormcast. Craziest thing. Crazy. Uh, convenient. Part of it been like painting and converting up my force for Path of Story, and then the other part is I got tagged as a last minute uh, player for Holy Havoc. Sweet. Happening in the the first weekend of November. So. Since it's all last minute, I have been furiously painting all of my Stormcast. I like the idea of you doing it angrily, like yeah. incredibly oh, yeah, furious yeah. about it. <laughs> painting is not a calm thing. I don't, you know, <laughs> fast and furious. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Have you been? Have you been to a holy event at all? I holy Havoc have or been Wars? to a single wargaming event. Period. Oh my uh, so gosh. I'm just diving in feet first. What Man. a way to start. Good yeah, job. You're gonna be a little right? spoiled. That's what I that's what I hear. I'm gonna be spoiled. And you know what? I can live with that. Yeah, right. Okay, that's, that's awesome. Paul, have you been to any of the holy events? I have not, no. I uh, I have to limit my abandoning of my children for multiple days to only well, abandoning is a strong word. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, true, but just leaving alone for long stretches of time. Because um, I know Eric, and I'm pretty sure Eric and Davey went to the Holy Havoc at least once. They're not they here did. to talk about it, but they spoke very highly of it. And mm-hmm. I've heard nothing but great things. Um, it's down, it's in Naperville, Illinois, I want to yep. say, uh, which is a shame because I grew up one town over for years and years, uh, but have long since moved away. And 
uh, most of my family moved away. So I don't see myself getting down there anytime soon, but um, maybe one day I'll, I'll make the trip down uh, and revisit the old stomping grounds at a, at a holy event. Fingers crossed one day. Um, very neat. Is there anything else you want to been working on that you want to talk about? Um, no, painting up Stormcast and doing Path to Story is taking up every second of my free time. I was going to say, is that not enough, Aaron? Come on. Yeah, um, come on, man. <laughs> hey, Paul, what, uh, what you been up to? I have been painting up uh, a an Underworld Warband, um, the, the Dark Oath one, and I'm just blanking on the name because um, I'm doing it as a – go ahead. God's Sworn Hunt. Hunt. Thank <laughs> you. I'm doing it as a paint test for my Living City army um, that I am doing for Path to Story. And also, just today, I broke out my priest figure for the Mortal Citizens Project to get that done for this month. So It's it's like the 25th. You only have a couple more days. Yeah, but I already had it completely done and converted, Uh-oh. and so I just need to paint it. And and painting, it's a it's a scheme I've already painted on like fifty or sixty miniatures, so it shouldn't take me that long. I, I like how your painting step is like the oh that's that's the no big deal step where that you know the one that, that literally stops me dead in my tracks. Um, <laughs> right on. I got a paint scheme real quick. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, God's Horn Hunt guys. I'm. I mean, we're, we're, it seems as if we're going to be getting more dark old stuff. What a mm-hmm. uh, what a, a coincidence for you, Paul. Awesome. Yeah. No, Hashtag it's very coincidental. Well, and yesterday, the other day, I was working on a uh, an Arachnoc, so it seems like we're getting some spiders, too. So. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah. Weird. Whatever Paul's working on is what's going to be released. Um, <laughs> Paul, start working on some wood elves next, please. Oh, man. I, I could do that. I'm actually assembling Far Striders right now for Stormcast, so we're going to get more Stormcast next. You heard it here first. Oh, man. Thank thank goodness. We were running, we were running low. Um and uh, what have I been working on? Raising a baby uh, and um, slowly but surely working on some Nurgle stuff. And by my version of working on it is just assembling things. But um, I'm trying to think the last time I was on any sort of show. Uh, and that I knocked out some uh, a fiver of Blight Kings. Um, the, nice. And then I've been working through the, um, the, what is it called, Blight War? Where's mm-hmm. the box? Yeah, Blight War. Uh, yep. So I'm in the middle of the Plague Bears currently. Um, and then I'll do the Plague Drones, and then that'll all be done. I'll take all that Nurgle stuff, I'll put it in a box, I'll never look at it again, um, and uh, we'll move on to some other assembly project. Um, Secure in the full. knowledge it will never wake up and smother you in your sleep. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not that secure in it, and my wife is probably less secure in that knowledge. Um, <laughs> and actually, the most very, very most recent hobby I did is I was putting away some of the Warcraft terrain, again, in a box, never to be looked at again, and I, I bent one of those dang dangly skeleton bits off the bell tower oh yeah um and i don't know like god why why did they think that that was okay it's not okay guys it's wrong um and i have to figure out how to certify that up i guess green stuff i don't know what's what's green stuff um <laughs> that's it's something used for uh conversions um which is Blah. where you assemble the model Blah. not as intended Blah. <laughs> you sound like your child right now. Gross. <laughs> Actually, more than you know. Um, so that is that. Um, guys, you want to do a little story phase? Just a little one? Just a little? Yeah, just, just, small, just a little bit. Small, a little foray? Yeah, not the most amount of, of valor on any battle tome that we've ever read. No. Just a heavy tome. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I think to get into the story phase, I think Paul has the key, and it's it's his it's his his dulcet tones. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. <clears throat> so dulcet. I don't actually know what the word dulcet means, but I love using it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I think I think it, it is often used to reference tones and like voices and things. And so I think that it probably applies. Um, all right, we're here. We're talking about Stormcast. It's weird that we are in year of this podcast. I don't know how long it's been. Um, we've covered many. We've covered many. Uh, battle tomes, um, but never gotten around to the you know the the, the granddaddy, the, yeah the, the uh, poster boys. Yep, all all of these are true. Uh, the golden and it, boys, first. and the longer we put it off, the less like like less enthused I was to do it because it just seems like it was just building and building, and there was so much more being added on top of it that like it seemed like this insurmountable uh, discussion topic. However. Kind of in a little bit of a drought for Age of Sigmar. Run out of things to talk about. So why, why how about we just pull the trigger, huh? It's, there's no time like the present. The best time to do a battle to, uh, Stormcast Battle Tome review is five years ago. The second best time is now. Um, exactly. And so let's let's bite the bullet and get it, uh, get in there, get our hands dirty. But uh, let's let's do it, and we'll be happy that we'll do it. It'll be it'll be a big weight off our shoulders um, eventually. So. Mm-hmm. Battle tomes. How do we start our battle tomes? First things first. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I apologize. I'm not that sorry. Um, what I need from you is a, your own. Don't copy it from anywhere. Your own one sentence description of this faction, off the cuff, off the dome. We're freestyling here. Um, if you wanted to give someone a, a one sentence pitch as to what this army was, maybe you have recently with um, Spencer, right? Maybe this is how you would have pitched it to her. Um, how would you describe uh, this faction in one sentence? It can be as long as you want. Run on sentences, encouraged. Um, let's start with Paul. He's got the most expertise in this. All right. I would describe them as bound soul, fully armored, lightning riding, uh, dragon riding. Seekers of vengeance in the mortal realms and uh, and deliverers of order and justice. Both order and justice. He snuck that one in. All right. So that, uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Secondly, is a tough act to follow. Will, do you think you can do him one better? No. But I'll <laughs> give you my one sentence. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. No, yeah. That, that's, that's all I really can ask. There. Yeah. Um, I would say... Formerly mortal, these heroes of Sigmar bring the storm of war against the enemies of the realms at the cost of their own souls. Ooh. Oh, succinct, but then, like haunting a little bit at the same time. Like uh, I can envision that being said, you know, with like a, like an echo effect, right? As we're in like some sort of large cavern yeah, and, or like and the the vision. Yeah, Thunder Apps, you got it. That's that's for true. Man, that's gonna I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight after that one. Um <laughs> I like the storm of war. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was great. It's very poetic. Um, yeah. So so here's the so here's the deal. The, I, this segment is I think holy for me. I don't know if anybody else likes it. And I'm, quite frankly, I don't care if anybody else likes it because I do it for you gotta you gotta love what you do. And wh- what I do is make other people give one sentence summaries of factions. So uh thank you for that. 
uh, made my evening. Um, so that <laughs> that's the Stormcast. And everything else that we're going to talk about is maybe uh, unimportant. Like re- if you wanted to stop listening now, you could, dear listener. Um, but I don't recommend no, it. No, no, no. I mean, we're going we're gonna to work, re- work really hard to actually make the rest of this really good too. So, but yeah. <laughs> I, I don't work that hard. Um, all right. So we've got the one... We've got the one sentence, but maybe let's let's take a step back. Um, let's we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit, bit of a history lesson here and, and walk through step by step how we got to where we are and how the Stormcast got to where they are currently. So, um, well, where should we start? I guess we should start at the beginning, as Paul knows, because it's a very good place to start. Back in the age of myth, I'll ask just generally anybody can take it. Um, what what was going on in the age of myth as it relates to our our our. Uh, our heroes of Sig- uh, heroes of Azir, basically. Obviously, they don't haven't existed yet at this point. This is pre- this predates our Stormcast. What was going on back in the Age of Myth? Um, anyone who feels like jumping in? Yeah, I'll take it because uh, the the first thing the books talk about has initially nothing to do with Sigmar or the Stormcast. Even though it's their book, the like the first thing we see is a story of dragons. And story of Dracothian. Which is a good, it's a good place. It's a good way to start though, right? Like if you're going to start somewhere, let's start with dragons. Every fantasy story starts with dragons. Uh, And it it talks about them having to essentially go into isolation because of Kragnos, the the big centaur god of destruction. And yeah, I thought it was interesting that in the book about Stormcast, the first thing we see at first, seems like it has nothing to do with them, unless these dragons come back later. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Um, be super crazy. Zero. No, that would never yeah. happen. Nah, it's it's rare that we get glimpses. It's not. It doesn't never happen, but it's rare that we get glimpses of the realms before Sigmar rolls up. Like this, this is like, I mean, Age of Myth is more already kind of like a prehistorical time frame. I mean, literally an Age of Myth. Um, tall, you know, tall tales and mythological stories and stuff like that. And so, like. We're even starting long before even Sigmar rolled up, like uh, it, with with you know characters that were um, you know old when the realms were young, so to so to speak. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to get like glimpses like this um, of these realms, and it really sort of cements the fact that like Sigmar is a visitor to these places. Like it, yeah. the realms didn't just sort of sprout up because Sigmar had you know looked at them, but rather he was brought to a place that had persisted and you know had its own long history at that point. And I don't imagine that we'll spend a lot of time in those time you know in those eras but like any glimpses that we can get um i think are 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 treasures and i'm glad that we get to see them in small snippets like this yeah i think one of the cool things about this is that it talks about the world not only like existing but like really having a history well before sigmar arrives right like people are living and dying races are rising and getting wiped out like it's not like this is the primordial ooze that Sigmar shows up into Sigmar shows up into a fully like fully formed constantly evolving realm to begin with and even the one who rescues him Tracothian has already like birthed races of children like it it's it's a nice way to tell us that we don't know everything and that's kind of the point right um so I, I I particularly enjoyed that a part about it, and also just that, like, what were the underworlds like for 
Dracothian, right? And for mm. Draconith and for these people that lived in the mortal realms before Sigmar ever got there. Like it really yeah. a- asks us to almost talk about the evolution of death, the evolution of belief and religion, which I understand is a really like kind of deep <laughs> topic, but like it's something that really fascinates me because I, I think they've done a really good job of making a living, breathing world. And instead of just having this living, breathing world that rolls forward, it also rolls back. And that's one of my favorite things about um, Age of Sigmar right now is that everything is possible. And that's super cool to me. Yeah, and that's a good call out about death because, like, it was Sigmar that found Nagash, Nagash. Um, and then it was Sigmar that found Gorka Morka, and it was Sigmar that found all these other, like, major players of the realm. So it's not just the age before him, it's the age before all of the guys that we're thinking of. Well, and, and in the old world, we had that, but it was the old ones. And we, yeah. know, we still know nothing about the old ones. But in the age of Sigmar, we know who those, you know, paraphrased old ones are. And they're pretty awesome. And they're agents and they're, they're making cool stuff happen. So that's awesome. Well, it depends on whose side you are, whether or not they're awesome. <laughs> which chaos doesn't think they're awesome. But uh, speaking of which, um, so... Uh, like you it said, um, it was ends up being centuries later after sort of this, um, you know, Draconith, uh, like the fall of the Draconith Empire, right? Um, it's it's centuries after that that Sigmar comes rolling up, um, and he's rocketing through the, you know, the um, the etheric void. Uh, he's clinging to the, you know, um, the malice and the, the core of the old world that exploded. Dracothian finds him, takes him to the mortal realms, uh, shows him a whole new world. They fly in a magic carpet. I think I'm mixing that up with something else. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that, that, that tracks, I think. And like you, uh, Will said, he, he goes around finding sort of his old friends slash enemies um, in these realms who have become deified, much like himself. Um, and this is where he starts putting together his pantheon um, of the gods. And it's this, you know, golden era, this age of myth in a, in a, um, a very positive spin, um, optimistic time um, where they, the gods are all working together, fostering their own realms and their own uh, civilizations, and everything is hunky dory. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, as I mentioned before, that I love to see stories from the pre Sigmar. I feel like we could do for some more Age of Myth stories, even after when Sigmar shows up. Yeah. They talk about how, how, how you know, great everything was at this time. I want to know what great looks like. I want to uh, describe to me like the the paradise that is, you know, the moral realms of this time. Um, and hopefully one day we'll get that. Uh, yeah. Did anything else occur in this age that's worth talking about or any of the stories that they call out in this book on something you guys want to chat about here? Everything had a little piece of something super cool, uh, which was something I really enjoyed in this battle tome. It's going to be hard for me to parse out the one, the one story that I really like because all of them had just little bits that, really filled in some of those details we didn't know or had had been reminded of before. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, agreed. Um, I feel like with the exception of sort of the, the insert of the Draconith Empire sort of blurb in this Age of Myth, I think a lot of this stuff generally is stuff that, that are things that we've heard before and things that we might have even talked about uh, on the show before as well. Um, just mm-hmm. how, like I just said, the Pantheon's creation, um, the civilizations that sort of flourished at the time and how, and this is me segueing, um, and how as humanity or maybe not even humanity but the mortal races become you know more and more established in these realms and they sort of develop and flourish that 
is sort of the the entry point, the the keyhole for chaos to sort of start weaseling their way into the realms. Um, it's through sort of the I don't know the the I don't know, how do they describe it? It's like the increase of of emotions of these of mm-hmm. these people, um, and in doing so, that's an invitation for chaos to roll up, and um, no one sees it coming. Um, no one's really prepared for it. But as as sort of the civilization civilizations grow, they're just begging to have a target on their backs for chaos to roll up, which is what they do, uh, which then ushers in the age of chaos that we all know and love. I, I think there's two interesting points to be made. I'm going to that specifically. That's that's fair. You will. Um, which is that there was war and death and everything before Sigmar showed up. So the arrival of Sigmar didn't, quote, ruin everything, right? Because bad stuff happened before Sigmar was here. But the big thing that wasn't here before Sigmar showed up was there weren't the chaos gods here. So did Sigmar and the gods of the old world actually bring chaos to the mortal realms and had they not arrived would the mortal realms never have known chaos you can't see but i've i've got my fingers on my beard right now maybe mm-hmm. maybe they wouldn't have like maybe the societies wouldn't have grown to the degree that they would have been as desirable to chaos perhaps or maybe it was an inevitability i'm not sure yeah fortunately we never have to know <laughs> because chaos came. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, if we ever have to film like a what if series, a la the Marvel's what if, we can we can pause it um, and sort of see see that through its logical end. What if Sigmar never rolled up to the mortal realms? Uh, we're going to trademark that one. That's a great idea. Uh, so don't even, hands off audience. Um, <laughs> classic TM, 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 TM. But chaos does come, uh, come Hacker high water and uh, it's catches everyone off guard. Um, they strike on. I, I'm pretty sure you could say all realms, right? Even Azir, I think chaos like mm-hmm. yes breaks yeah. through, right? Yeah, not and not uh, super tough, but enough. Yeah, yeah. because so, some obviously some realms that hit a little harder. I feel like we we know this a little bit from the Realm Gate Wars and that um, Gyran was in a rough spot uh, from Nurgle. Uh, Actually, from Corn, Zinch was kicking it in Shaman, but that's not to say that. I mean, Chaos is sort of swarming all realms at all times and and overwhelming in over overwhelming another cool word um, overwhelming um, basically all the, the the different civilizations in different ways, right? So, so the the first story we have in the Age of Skies or Age of Chaos is the Burning Skies, um, and so. That's a, a signal to us that not only is chaos showing up, but the pantheon of order that Sigmar had arranged and, and worked through is falling apart as well. And we got uh, an, a cool moment for me, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, with the the leaders of the Hammers of Sigmar, Bastian Carthalos, in his mortal form, is actually the last person through the gates of Azir when they close in the Age of Chaos. And he actually fights with Sigmar at the head of 12 tribes of humans. So we're getting Sigmar fighting with humans. Do you think it's the first time that we've had like it spelled out? There's a person and this is person is important. And he's a human like in the old world where Sigmar led 12 tribes of humans to unite the empire. And we had a lot of these callbacks where they're tying back the mythos of the Age of Sigmar and 
tying in reminders of the old world. And I really appreciated that he again fought with 12 human tribes and this time, instead of uniting, he failed. I thought that was a, a cool little twist. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I feel like we've incidentally talked about some of this in different episodes before, but for the sake of completion, I'll say that. So uh, you re- referenced the Burning Skies, and so that was this big battle in the Age of Chaos when uh, essentially it was, um, I don't know, the forces of order were like Sigmar and his allies was their like last stand against uh, the, the Chaos forces, um, and things went sideways real quick um yep. the i think the turning point there the most noteworthy thing that occurred in this battle was that um Arcan's, i think gaunt summoners tricked sigmar into throwing his hammer at nothing into like a portal yep. um and that was sort of the imp like the straw that broke the camel's back i mean this has been like a, a centuries long like war that is occurring in the moral realms and uh sigmar's for all intents and purposes sort of holding his own with his forces but the the loss of his hammer sort of i don't know if it spooks him or like you know he loses his his bravado or what have you but he, he realizes that you know this is this is a, a losing battle and um it's high time that i pull up stakes take my ball and go home oh wait no you you took my ball and now i'm going home um and he rolls up to his ear locks the doors behind him leaving the realms to their uh to their fate again I've, i feel like we've talked about this a lot but just as a reminder for yeah. folks that's what occurred here well and i think what we're bypassing here but also is important is that we've talked about this a lot because this is a known history that we've had for a while. We kind of knew this from the beginning of Age of Sigmar when they started writing the mythos. And so that's why we've talked about it a lot. But it is one of the foundational things is that Sigmar himself retreated and gave up the fight. But he didn't give up completely because he always had this plan to reforge these souls of the dead or the dying into these immortal warriors called Stormcast. Oh, now I get their names on the book. That makes sense. Now I get it. That's why we're talking about this stuff. And so um, one of the, the little things that I like too is that, again, we have Bastian Carthos, who has been reforged, is the one who leads the Stormcast or the, the Azerites to the cleansing of Azir, which I thought was a cool little thing that we actually get characters in action in this era as well. Yeah. And so kind of what you're talking about, this is maybe spilled out a little bit in the, in the long way it is. So Sigmar decides, yeah, you know what? There's something I need, I I need to do something. And so it's between him and Grogni and Dracothi and they sort of plan to create this new fighting, you know, fighting force, but that's going to take a long time. Like it's not something they can do immediately. So they're sucking up souls, uh, putting them into suits of armor, yada, yada, yada. Um, but while this is going on, like there's also this big uh, campaign to sort of clear out a zero of any sort of taint um, of chaos or, you know, what have you. I, they clear out a bunch of orcs and stuff too, so it's not just the, the chaos well, stuff. I'm going to do a call out here for Koros. Uh, yes, beastmen are mm-hmm. mentioned in this book. They get slaughtered. And then there's some dragon ogres. They get slaughtered too. So yes, beastmen are mentioned and they get killed. It's, it's what they do best. Um and so it, they sort of leave the realms. I mean, while there's these big campaigns in sort of Azir, you know, they're the only place that sort of can like effectively defend itself while the rest of the realms are, you know, left to their fate for for many moons. Um, I can't remember exactly how long the Age of Chaos was, but it wasn't short. Yeah. Um, well, what's interesting is that, like, it's not short. It I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> gotcha. Help myself. I'm sorry. Should have known better. <laughs> 
But it, it's not a short period of time. And in almost every other battle tome, it's a large section of a faction's history. Except for the Stormcast. In here, it's just them talking about, oh, yep, we closed the door. And now Sigmar is just grabbing people randomly. And he's making Stormcast out of them. But despite how important the Age of Chaos was to the realms as a whole, as important as it was to the mortals of the realms, to to Sigmar's golden boys, it's, you know, it's just the time where they're getting ready, where they are getting ready to actually do something. They were, they were, uh, I don't want to say relaxing, but they were just playing games in the gladiatorium. Like they didn't even notice that they just chaos was going on. Um, yeah, this is just like summer camp. I mean, for they were just past. fighting beastmen, and you know, it wasn't anything. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy. Um, yeah, it's 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 not common that we have a, a faction that like it, its origins are so relatively deep into the the history that is you know of the moral realms oftentimes like like you said well that, that like that age of myth or age of chaos has a much wider or much more impactful to the to the to the faction at hand but um the, the stormcast is one of the few if can't think of any others off the time i had but i'm sure they exist um one of the few factions that uh really come into their own with the age of sigmar or at least at the tail end of uh age of chaos and by age of sigmar i literally mean the historical age and less the the game system itself. But speaking of which, Age of Sigmar, I, I, eventually the, the Stormcast get tired of beating up each other and Beastmen, basically just those two things uh, <laughs> in his ear. Uh, and they, said, they decide, you know, let's bring the fight. Um, we, we've, we've, gr- we've grinded the low-level uh, mobs to get experience. And so now that we can actually go and tackle, you know, the hide, you know, the actual, uh, enemies that we need to fight. Um, and thus the, the lightning strikes across the realms, mm-hmm. um, Sigmar's golden boys, uh, march in unison, liberator shields in lockstep, uh, and the realm gate wars, uh, begins. And we've, we've, we've entered the age of Sigmar. I just declared it. Um, <laughs> Did anything jump out at you guys uh, here? Anything worth talking about? <laughs> I assume anything worth talking about in the Age of Sigmar. Um, what uh, What were some of your favorite parts of, um, of this here age? So one thing that like we've kind of mentioned but hadn't really talked about is the fact that the Stormcast, they die and they get reforged. They are essentially immortal. They, you know, they live, they die, they live again. Uh, shiny and chrome. But one thing I wanted to call out. <laughs> I was muted, but I was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. My my heart. <laughs> um, but I wanted to call out the, the Spire of the Lost, where like as nearly immortal as these, these warriors are, they're not actually immortal. And some of them are lost permanently. Mm-hmm. And it is it is something that they are still aware of. Um, but it doesn't stop them from, you know, picking up the hammer, picking up the shield and riding a bolt of lightning down to, to fight again. This book um, does a really good job of telling us that there is a cost to being a Stormcast before it, it to me, it seemed a lot more of like, oh, there's this problem that is a problem, but it's not really a big deal yet, but it's going to be a big deal at some point. And I feel like we're we're starting to see some of that cost um, in the narrative, which I really appreciate. Uh, the other th- reason why, it, again, it's kind of hard to pick out some of these early ones is that um, 
the Mortal Realms podcast has actually done a lot of these stories um, in our early episodes because this is where the narrative started. And the Age of Sigmar, because it is a moving narrative, we've moved from this time to this time to this time. And a lot of these stories, um, the Black Rift of Claxus, the Heldenhammer Crusade, um, even the Seasons of War um, are things that we have played through, uh, read through in Age of Sigmar from the six years since GW has released the game. Um, so one of the things that I really appreciated was the bonds of the bonds of patronage. The bonds of patronage is a cool little story about a stormcast who remembers who he was and he goes back and he finds his civilization and basically brings it back to life um, before sacrificing himself in its defense again. So he kind of abandons the Stormcast for the sake of his memory. And I thought that was cool to have a story like that because we haven't really seen that before that I know of. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a cool one. Paul, you bring up a good point in that um, the early days of the Age of Sigmar are, are very focused on sort of the realm gate wars and the realm gate wars is very much a stormcast internal focused you know series of you know events so on and so forth um and that like they're just inextricably linked uh the, the one is is the other so to speak um and to your point yeah the mortal realms actually when it was first started long before you or i or any of us were on it um eric and david did talk about a lot of these um realm gate wars larger uh um you know campaign level like events that were going on it was very interesting uh, i remember telling them when they first started that i really liked their coverage but it was uh, it was too long and oh man if i if only i would have known um how <laughs> things were gonna go uh i'm a little embarrassed to admit that um because who, who could sit and listen to a podcast for that long um so uh to that end, a lot of the stories that they focus in this battle tome, uh, in this, um, in sort of in this era, are 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 references or, or, or reminders to what had occurred in those Realm Gate Wars. And so, for you listeners, instead of us rehashing those, I would recommend you go back to some of the very very early uh, episodes of the Mortal Realms and catch yourself back up on what was going on back then uh, in the Realm Gate Wars. Um, this was long before any of us really knew how to edit anything, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so I apologize for that as well. Um, so, uh, back to the age of Sigmar, um, another thing you'd called out, Paul, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep talking, um, is that you'd, you'd, you'd reference sort of the Black Rift of Claxus, and, um, there's a few other stories here that I was surprised to see, um, these little blurbs referencing purely Black Library stories, mm -hmm. um, that, that I, I find that to be a rarity and sort of, they often have a little bit of a wall between what do they call it? Like the studio publications and like the black library publications. Often they're talking about similar stuff, but like rarely do the two ever sort of meet. And so this was, this caught me off guard a little bit when they start talking about the black rifter classes. I'm like, wait a sec, was that, was that in a, in a, in a studio book? I don't think so. I think it was just a series written by my best friend and best friend of the show, uh, Josh Reynolds. Um, but Lo and behold, yeah, no, it, it was sort of purely that black library introduction. So um, I love seeing stuff like that. The only reason I bring it up is because um, I, I wish there was more of a connection between sort of the, the official, you know, studio-based um, publications and this black library to really 
um, cement the fact that they are they are in the same universes. They're they're telling the same stories, and that the things that occur in one do matter in the other. Um, and so I was just happy to see that here. Um, and the Black Rift of Classics is a great little series of short stories that end up being one much longer novel. And I recommend folks check it out. Um, Absolutely. Did, did any uh, any of the stories in here um, grab you? Will anything else jump out at you? Well, because I, I guess I don't, since there was never an episode about this before, I don't know of whether or not they talked about the realms like Hish, um, like they do in that story. And because there's gang fe- like features in there. So it's, we're almost circling back to older periods of time and fleshing out more of the realms that we wouldn't have seen because the Realm Gate Wars really focused on Akshi and Gairan. So I kind of like that we're, we're not just adding things on to the end of the timeline, but we're fleshing things out in the timelines we've already gone over. Yeah. And I love when they do that. Um, and it's, it's, it's games workshop as a whole, do such a great job um, about leaving those spaces that allow them to go back and fill in. Like they, they are, they know enough to leave enough room to breathe so that they can continually fill out that timeline as they, as they go forward. So it, like you said, it's not always tacking stuff onto the end or like throwing stuff in the beginning, but filling in the sort of the, the that ever growing middle um, is uh, always a delight. Cause you can always call back and be like, Oh yeah, no, I know that place now. And it, it's, how does that sort of tie into what I knew about the timeline back then, which is, which is great. So uh, as we mentioned, we, we sort of covered the realm gate wars before, but after that is kind of a, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a more peaceful time because it's definitely, there's never a peaceful time uh, in the age of Sigmar, but um, once uh, the forces of order, Sigmar's forces are able to claim a few of the those realm gates that lead into the eight points, they've locked a few down, yada, yada, yada. They, they feel confident that they're able to expand further in, into the realms. Um, and in doing so, we sort of enter this this realm, this time frame of uh, what do they call the seasons of war, where Sigmar starts, or, you know, the the forces of order start finding and founding um, cities in the realms. And so it's these seeds of hope that they start with, but there's a whole bunch of, you know, other cities that we learn about later. And um, it's a, it's a time for expansion. It's a time for order to really, you know, plant their flags in the ground and retake back some of the realms from chaos and then also death and then also destruction as well. Um, And it uh, really seems like things are turning around for the forces of order. And it's these, Stormcast that really have turned the tide against chaos, and, and it, it seems like uh, you know the pendulum swinging the other way. Um, but I think we can then fast forward to a, a, a hitch in Sigmar's plan, so to speak, or something that no one saw coming, uh, except for uh, the Bone Daddy himself. Is when we entered the uh, the time of tribulations, a new a new sort of era. It doesn't have the it doesn't have an age of in front of it, but it, it could be considered as such. Um, who wants to talk about what what's going on in the time of tribulations in the Soul Wars time frame for the Stormcast? Uh, well, what we're talking about here is Nagash building another Black Pyramid. Uh, it seems to be his game, um, and he built this one so it's upside down instead of right side up. See, he's always mixing it up. <laughs> yes, he's mixing it up because he built it downwards instead of upwards this time. That was his uh, problem before. Yeah. And he does this great ritual, um, and it took him thousands of years to build it, and it buries itself into the realm and draws all the magic of of Shayish to the center of the realm as opposed to the normal way that it works, which is drawing it to the outside of the realm. 
And one of the consequences of this ritual is that the undead start rising in all of the realms and magic goes absolutely bananas uh, in the Arcanum Optimar. And so um, we, we start through here and this is kind of right before the, the last big thing we had with Broken Realms. So it's kind of our, like, what is this? Two to f- three to five years ago during when Games Workshop has been a thing, or Age of Sigmar has been a thing, is when this timeline is happening. So the Malign Portents, all this kind of stuff happened at this moment in time. Um, so it it's a really cool um, way of moving the timeline forward and also giving us some new races like the Night Haunt. Yeah, absolutely. And so as far as it, speaking generally, as far as it relates to the Stormcast, right? Um, so... All across the mortal realms, different races were having different portents, which is why they call it malign portents, um, that something nefarious was up and something nefarious was coming. And so on the Stormcast front, we had some Stormcast, I think Vandis Hammerhand was starting to have, starting to have some premonitions that something was going down. I think a lot of the, like the Lord ordinators were through their orreries and their like weird telescopes were predicting that there was some terrible calamity that was uh, going to befall uh, Shayish. And so there's this big force of, you know, this big alliance of, you know, an order order folks marching on Shayish to sort of stop Nagash what he was up to. As we find out, it's this, it's this neck, um, it's this inverted pyramid that he's putting together. Um, they're, they're battling other forces that have also come to, you know, everyone's sort of pulled to the same spot in Shayish. Um, there's, you know, chaos forces, destruction forces. There's this big battle, but no one's able to stop Nagash from, you know, enacting his great, great plan. And um, it turns out that uh, Nagash is basically ticked at everybody at this point. That's the whole reason he's, he, I mean, he's always been a sour, sort of a power-hungry monster, but he especially has a bone <laughs> to pick with, uh, uh, with, um, with Sigmar. Um, and so th- he's doing this great, you know, ritual so that he can gain all the power of Shayish and sort of strike back against the world, Sigmar specifically, for a number of reasons. One, he thinks he's stealing the souls that rightfully belong to N- Nagash because all are in Nagash. Um, there's, they, they've had a, a beef ever since the Age of Chaos in that they each thought they were betraying each other um, when, you know, sort of in the tail end of Age of Chaos. Um, so there's been that feud since then as well. And so um, all of this comes to a head with Nagash's uh, big plan. Of course, it falls apart for a hot second. If you want to learn more, listen to any of our Soul Wars episodes. Um, and uh, he, this is sort of the genesis of the the Night Haunt, as Paul said. And he sort of sends those out against, against the realms, so to speak, uh, tearing down and attacking sort of that civilization that that fledgling civilization that um, Sigmar is sort of trying to foster in, in the mortal realms. And it's been, it's been a nightmare. Let me tell you. Yeah. And he, Sigmar responds. <laughs> he responds by um, sending out the sacrosanct chambers. Uh, he's had this, like a whole other army of Stormcast just sort of sitting around trying to, to fix the issues with the reforging. Cause you know, the Stormcast that die, they they lose a little bit of themselves each time. And there's been this entire army working on fixing that. And now they're not doing that anymore. Now they're fighting ghosts. So what would you rather be doing now? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's one of the other things about the Stormcast that's super unique is that 
when Age of Sigmar dropped, we got the Liberators and we got the Judicators. And then when Soul Wars dropped, which was a new box set, we got the Sacrosanct Chamber. Um, This is the race that has the most model evidence of what has been going on in the realms because we got new models that look different for pretty much every major era of the game. Uh, and so when Will's talking about the Sacrosancts, we got literally, you know, for a to be kind of blunt with it, they're basically the IT guys who are trying to fix out what's going on. <laughs> but in Age of Sigmar, they're mages who are trying to figure out what's going on um, that get sent down into the realms to fight. Um, and these are the guys, if you have seen them, they're the guys with the robes. Um, we also had the Vanguard Hunters come, um, where Aaron was talking about that he was putting together uh, the box set with Nurgle. They came down in that box set. So we have these marks on the models of the different stories that happened from time to time. And we're going to have a couple more coming up in a minute. Um, so it, it's kind of cool to go back and relive these moments because you also can see which models were fighting. And some of these characters were there from the be- very beginning. Some of them move in as we move along. Um, and it, it's a cool way of telling a story. And also, it's hard sometimes to parse back to what model was released when and why that was cool. Um, and doing all of the the Stormcast right now, I think this is the fourth or the fifth Battle Tome, six years in, um, leads to kind of a cool story, not only in the narrative, but also in the physical release of the models when it comes to Stormcast. So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I'll, I'll pause and say, uh, do you guys have any stories from this era that you guys want to talk about before we sort of push our timeline forward a little bit anything jump out at you uh one of the stories that i really liked in this era is um called the purest excellence and it's about a lord celestant um who is fighting against the slaneshi host in zintel so this is in hish and turns out that one of the warlords of this force is actually her son and she doesn't want to kill him. Obviously, she remembers who he is. As a Stormcast, you keep some of those memories. And so she goes to fight him, but then stalls at the last moment, and he strikes her down. Um, And then she gets reforged, comes back, stalls at the last minute over and over. And then finally, um, they're able to restrain her son so she can finally have this conversation and allow him to, you know, come back to order and instead she slays him because she's forgotten who he is, which I just thought was... I can't fight this guy. He's my son. Yeah, uh, which I thought was like super depressing, but also like super flavorful narrative for the Stormcast. So I love that one. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Will, it sound like you got one. Yeah, I do. So the one I want to talk about is called Frozen Lightning, which is just a cool sounding name off the bat. Uh, but it's a story of those vanguard hunters, the the more scout-like of the heavily armored soldiers of Sigmar, like crawling their way through a storm and just opening fire on a bunch of ogres. And we have Indrasta, who is a a brand new character, like arriving to the battle and saving everyone. But the reason I thought this was a cool story is she's a new character for us outside of like the game, but like it was a recent model that came out with 
Dominion and the Era of Beast, what we're going to talk about later. So it's them weaving these new characters into the history of this faction. She's not just a new person. She's been here. We just haven't come across any stories with her yet. Convenient. Yeah. And also, it's a story where I can't envision what this character looks like because her model has her wearing the newest armor with the newest gear but the story takes place before then so i'm like what does she look like what is she wearing oh good point i didn't really thought about that that's that's a good thought yeah especially with her did she always have did she mom will get into her did she always have like the angel wings i think she did oh yeah she always had the wings so then like how does that like fit with her big you know bulky like armor like her little tiny wings and they're not tiny but like you know smaller than what you'd think wings um with her big bulky armor yeah interesting um so uh this story i'll talk about i guess moves the story forward in a little bit is that um the necroquake if we're going to talk about you know how the Soul Wars time frame affected uh, Sigmar. It turns out that the Necroquake had w- w- wide-reaching effects uh, in the realms, and one of the things it did is it actually um, disrupted some protections that Sigmar had placed over these vaults that he'd sort of scattered around the mortal realms. In these vaults, he had stored uh, weapons or individuals or artifacts that he thought were too powerful to sort of let you know roam the mortal realms, but at the same time, he couldn't destroy them either, and so. Uh, he had hid them away in the realms and then used these, um, these, uh, I can't remember, forget engines, whatever they're called, um, penumbral engines, uh, to sort of hide their engines. I love forget engines. Yeah. Uh, to hide them, um, from anyone else, you know, stumbling across them. There's it's a whole thing. Uh, listen to our forbidden power episode, forbidden power, I think forbidden power, um, Turns out the Necroquake disrupted those protections, and then all of a sudden these vaults were like sort of findable, discoverable um, by anybody who was looking for them. Turns out uh, the Night Haunt, led by the Mortark Lady Olinder, um, books it towards this one in Lethus. Again, we talked about this in, in you know, at Soars or at, at Forbidden Power, but uh, yada, yada, yada. They, they slice through a whole bunch of the Stormcasts, they kill, um, or they. Yeah, essentially kill uh, the Celestine Prime and they free Catacross. We don't know it's Catacross at the time, but we find it later um, from this vault, which then sort of kicks off the introduction of the Bone Reapers into into the realms. And so um, it was the sort of thing that like Sigmar was hiding and protecting this this mighty general in a storm vault that um, the Necroquake sort of released and released this great you know evil onto the world. And yet another. I don't know, enemy, yet another force that then the Stormcast have to contend with um, in the Moral Realms. They just keep they keep adding up, guys. That's the last thing you needed was another enemy. Right. Um, so uh, that's obviously a big milestone um, in the Moral Realms as it relates to our, our Golden Boys. Uh, here we go. So uh, the sort of soul wars time frame time of tribulations seems like it goes on forever uh in real in real life maybe that's just me um but but eventually um events conspire to i don't know bring it to a close and that is sort of uh, what we find um in the broken realm stories again if you want to find out more about broken realms listen to our broken realms episodes but we can sort of uh fast forward through them a little bit um it's a shorter time frame basically it's the 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 final days of um the soul wars uh did any of the stories here jump out at you guys that you guys want to chat about yeah so i wanted to talk about um marathi kane 
a former member of Sigmar's Pantheon stabs him in the back uh, with a one-two punch. Which is the worst place to get stabbed. Yeah, (laughs) and punching is the worst way to stab someone. (laughs) Stab punch. Um. No, they they she convinces Sigmar to go on like a joint mission to the eight points, like the strongest bastion of chaos, and then sneaks away and like leaves all of his soldiers there to die and to be permanently trapped by chaos. And then she takes the power she stole and then steals one of his cities and and takes like his soldiers captive so they can't escape. And really just like, and it's something that's going to come up a little bit later, but showing how one of his own would-be allies is kind of poking and prodding at the fact that they are immortal and doing everything she can to try and overcome or find a loophole around that. With friends like these, who needs enemies? Yeah. (laughs) Um. So this is a cool moment for me because, as Will was just saying, Morathi um, takes Anvilgard, which is now Harkiron, right? And then this ties in uh, at this moment in time. It's a different part, place in the battle tone, but it ties in right here. Is that Sigmar is like super angry that Morathi has taken one of his cities of Sigmar and apparently has massed an army to go take it back. Before um, he realizes that um, Kragnos is going to go take out Excelsis. And Sigmar trades Anvilgard for Marathi's help with Excelsis, which I don't know that we necessarily knew that before. But it specifically says, well, if you come help me save this city, I'll ignore the other one. Which is like, to me, is like a massive lore big thing that Sigmar literally just lets an entire city go to Marathi in the hopes of saving Excelsis. So that was a cool uh, little piece of lore that really triggered my um, narrative brain. It's like that, um, I don't know, that offer meme where like I offer your city that you own already and you get my help to keep another city safe. Uh, Yeah, it's... It's it's wild, and I don't think that we've seen the end of that um, sort of conflict as to you know what what arose from there. Or let me clarify: I hope we haven't seen the end of that conflict because <laughs> otherwise, I feel like that's kind of a a dangling a dangling story point that needs to be resolved. Um, another uh, story from this time frame is um, the as we've talked about in the Broken Realms Bellicor book, but uh, how Bellicor enacts this great plan uh, to corrupt the skies of Tremon, thus um, preventing any Stormcast killed under this cloud um, from reforging and, and rolling back to Azir. We thought it was going to be this whole thing. Turns out it wasn't really. Um, but uh, for a while there, it's, things looked really dire and you know uh, desperate for the Stormcast in, in Shimon. Um there's this story called A Terminal Line that talks about that a little bit and it sort of recap, re, recaps what had occurred there in Broken Realms Bellicor, but it adds a little uh, a spin on it that I hadn't heard before. Um, but the Stormcasts are sort of aghast and appalled by what you know what's occurring there, knowing that, like, oh, no, we could get trapped and have our s- souls stolen. Um, it's a, obviously a... It would, it would give any Stormcast pause to w- want to, you know, fight there. However, who it doesn't give pause to are the redeemed. And that is those Stormcast who have 
who originally were uh, corrupted by chaos were converted, for lack of a better word, converted via hammer uh, by the <laughs> Celestine Prime to then be reforged into Stormcast themselves, um, led by Tornus the Redeemed, a great name for what uh, he is. Um, he leads his you know fellow uh, sort of you know, reforged, reclaimed uh, Stormcast uh, in an attempt to brave that um, chaos storm and to throw down chaotic idols and instead erect um, monuments and things uh, honoring those stormcasts that had fallen under the, under the storm. Um, how cool is that? Like that, um, the, the, like a whole Sigmarite Brotherhood uh, storm host was eradicated under the storm and, and basically wiped out because they weren't able to be reforged. But despite that, our boy Tornus uh, rolls up with his you know his A team to uh, kick chaos, but erect statues honoring um, the fallen Stormcast and get the heck up out of there. Um, I thought that was super cool. And I like how they're, they're continually trying to find ways to re, you know, reintroduce Tornus and show that like he's still here and like he's still doing great things and he's still trying to earn his keep. Um, not literally Stormkeep, that's a different thing uh, uh, with the uh, Stormcast. Cool. Well, but also he's not the only one, right? Oh, yeah. like, he True. has a yeah. brotherhood of other redeemed. Like this is a a thing we are going to keep seeing going forward. And furthermore, a lot of the Stormcasts are side-eyeing him, side-eyeing him constantly, mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, th- that he's suspicious and that, um, that they, should, they shouldn't trust him. None of those Stormcasts are rolling up um, nope. trying to uh, honor the fallen, but rather it's these people essentially that have something, or these Stormcasts that have something to prove are the only ones who roll up to, you know, sort of do the right thing, which um, speaks to their bravery. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing I really like about that story is... Like it says that there's a wave of horror that engulfs his ear, and like the Stormcast, like they are legitimately afraid. They've been told they're eternal and that there's like a cost to it, but you know, they'll keep on fighting. And when they find out that they can just be annihilated, it's enough to hit the morale, but then they still keep fighting. Um, like they're not just brave because they're immortal. They're immortal because they're brave. That's why they were chosen. Man, put that on a bumper sticker. So that's good. Write that down. (laughs) Drop the mic. One of our questions from our uh, Discord um, uh, from Basaru is, how does the storm of chaos affect Stormcast? Like, we talked about two things right there. Um, But the other thing is that um, when Stormcast get killed, right, when they just corporate, there apparently is a finite amount of time when it is considered safe for them to get back, like the actual I die, I get reforged. Like there is a, a limit. There is a cost to not immediately going back. And that leads to like, uh, they're talking about the entire, this entire host is lost, is considered gone. When Tornus goes down to erect these statues, he doesn't go down to rescue them. Because he, nobody thinks they can be rescued. They have all just become these lightning geists that are completely uncontrollable. They cannot be caught. They cannot be herded, right? Like, this is the first time where we have something just destroy the actual essence on mass. We've had individual Stormcasts get destroyed before. And we have other forces that keep the lightning geists or the souls for example, in the Chaos War Altars or the Night Haunt have their their uh, their leaders that can trap people in the in the locks. 
but this is the first time that we've actually had something that literally just scatters them and causes them to be no longer available. Like you can't be, you can't be reforged. You can't be caught. You, we just don't know you're gone. Um, so that, that definitely does affect, um, the Stormcast for sure. Like they're at the moment, narratively, we've only lost a, a chapter that was introduced and then kind of wiped out relatively e- uh, early on. I'm sorry. A, a chamber. <laughs> sorry. A chamber. Remember I said, we or can't a, use Sigmarines or, anymore. That's yeah. that was the, I said it, but it was the last time anyone could ever use it again. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know I had just spoken or I had, I'd, praised Tornus, but now I'm wondering if like part of him showing up is like he's like I already know like how bad chaos is it's no big deal guys there's nothing to be afraid of let me show you um, maybe he's not brave maybe he just thinks it's a uh, like he's, he's been there done that kind of thing it's tough to say uh so that's one tidbit from uh the broken realms um as we spend more time or I mean again we it, we covered these at, at length in the previous episode, so I don't want to d- d- dig too much deeper. Um, I think we could probably jump forward to the Siege of Excelsis. I think we had brought that up earlier. Uh, again, what, listen to the Kragnos episode if you want more. But um, Sigmar's cities are getting sieged every which way, right? And Excelsis is no exception. Kragnos uh, busts his way out of a mountain. He runs across a, a continent. He's coming to knock down some walls. Uh, and it... it requires all sorts of allies um it's sig- like donkey kong but with four yeah, legs instead of <laughs> essentially um but sigmar has to call in favors even favors that he doesn't want to have to call in um in order to uh save the city and of course it's left on its last legs um facing down kragnos and it's through tri- trickery and treachery tre- treachery is a word i just made up um to uh, in order to in order to save it that's essentially bringing the the end of the, that Broken Realms time frame and ushering in the Age of Beasts with Kragnos being released onto the realms. Um, awesome. Um, let's lead. Let's jump. Let's jump right in with another question from Bossru. He had a, he had a couple. Uh, thank you, Bossru, from the Discord. And as Paul mentioned earlier, if you want to ask questions uh, on this show, one way to do so is to hang out in the Discord all the time in all waking hours, never go to sleep. Uh, and then one day I'll ask, hey, does anybody have any questions for the show? And then you can ask him. Um, he asks, is the Age of the Beast, which is what we're going to talk about now, hitting the Stormies in any less than direct ways? Well, let's, let me rephrase that. Uh, is it hitting the Stormies in direct ways first, and then we can talk about the indirect ways? What's going on in the Age of Beasts? Like, the fact that it's the Age of Beasts itself doesn't really have, like, a direct effect on the Stormcast, because the the major effect that's really something they need to struggle with is that the cursed skies everything else is just kind of more of the same until grungni shows up um dun, dun, which, dun. Is, dun, dun, dun. which if you recall uh, all the way back at the beginning of the episode we mentioned how grungni was one of the people that helped sigmar create the stormcast and do the forgings and he shows back up with super cool new Thunderstrike armor, which allows them to ignore the cursed skies most of the time. So if they're all wearing Thunderstrike armor, do they all have Thunder Vision now? I don't see why yeah. not. So it's like it's interesting because it it is a dire situation as a whole. Craig Nose is out there. We have these brand new cool Oryx 
or cruel oryx, depending on your point of view. <laughs> Can't and, it be both? <laughs> exactly. Um, and we, we have all these new dangers, but the Stormcast themselves, there's no direct effect for it being the Age of Beasts. That's, yeah, this is essentially true. Um, there is actually something we haven't talked about that is a massive section of the book um, that we probably could um, talk about in a little bit later, is that the way that it's been affected by the Age of Beasts is actually these Dawnbringer Crusades. Which is a whole massive, massive uh, um, thing to talk about. But functionally, what that means is instead of going out and fighting in a bunch of Stormcast-centric forces, um, there have been a lot of examples where they're actually the minority in a mass of people from the cities of Sigmar, humans and devoted and uh, elves and Dwarden going out to resettle the realms. So um, I think that the less than direct ways is that the Stormcast aren't really acting like Stormcast traditionally that we would think of them. Um, they, in, in rules terms, they can still be filled as their own force, but narratively, they really have been hit super hard by this cursed skies. It mentions that a lot of the a lot of the chambers are half strength. Um, a lot of them have lost a lot of people and how the, these brotherhoods that they have are meant to replace family at this point. Like it, it really has become something that is completely fundamentally changed the way that they work. Um, so it's, it's a big deal, um, but not specifically because of the Age of Beasts, but just because of the consequences of what's happened in the narrative and how the Age of Beasts has caused a fallout in the way that they work, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then another change that comes of that is, like, Kragnos is back, and Kragnos is part of the very first story we talked about. So he's not going to come back alone the dragons are going to come back in response. Sig- you know, the Stormcast actually gets some more friends. And so the the two Draconith come back and they they forge an alliance with the Stormcast. And now we have even more draconic creatures working with the Stormcast. We've got the Dracoths that came early on. We ha- now have the Draconith. We have the Star Drakes. We had the Dracolines. We have the Dracotigers, probably. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're messing with me now. <laughs> no, no, there's Draco Bears. Um, <laughs> I've seen them. I saw them. <laughs> He's out there. Yeah, uh, those, those Dracogriffs are pretty cuddly, though. Yeah. Um, so I feel like in answering or not answering Bostru's question, I think we've touched on maybe th- three big hallmarks uh, of the Age of Beasts, or rather the sort of new things that are occurring that sort of came with this Age of Sigmar 3.0 and, and you know, synonymous with the, the Age of Beasts. And that we've talked about, um, the th- we've mentioned the Thunderstrike armor, we've mentioned the Dawnbringer Crusades, and we've mentioned sort of the alliance. Um, what, what is the... Um, What's the alliance called for the dragons? The, yeah. the, the Pact Draconis. Yeah. There you go, exactly. So those are three big, you know, tent pole sort of events that have occurred in in this era. And coincidentally enough, folks have asked us to 
different questions about diff, di- each of those topics. And so I would be remiss if I didn't bring those up and we can tackle them one by one. I sort of, I, we've generally talked to them, but maybe we can deep dive into some of them. So back to a boss group question. He asked, did Grugney showing back up change how Stormcast work? I think Paul was touching that on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. One other change that I think I noticed um, that came with sort of this, you know, Thunderstrike armor, uh, you know, upgrade that the Stormcast are getting is that, um, Paul, you had mentioned that they're sort of at half strength, um, and yeah. a lot of the, the you know the storm hosts and, and chambers and things are, aren't running at their full capacity. Um, because of that, we're seeing um, a lot of accelerating of the classic reforging process, and so they're really just you're, you're getting a, a stormcast rolling up. They're going to slam them on the anvil apotheosis and kick them back out to the uh, to the realms um, faster than they normally would because they're at you know they're such a diminished strength currently and so although they've got this you know power upgrade in their armor not everybody has it and when people are getting reforged which they're still doing because they're able to because of their thunderstrike armor they're able to rocket through the the cursed skies um they're they're sending them right back down sort of not taking the 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 i don't know the care uh with with these uh with the souls of these stormcasts and we don't know what that means yet like we haven't seen the ramifications yet but i doubt it's going to be good so that's Yet another change that we're seeing in the Stormcast. They did mention that fighting in the gladiatorium seems to be a way of of lessening the trauma or dealing with the trauma of being reforged. Classic and fight club. They're, they're skipping. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said I shouldn't have talked about it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they are cycling through super fast. Um, they are skipping, going to the gladiatorium. Um, one of the other things I don't think that we've mentioned yet is that they are burning out these Stormcast souls. Um, not only do we have this this like monument in the Sigmarabalum that lists the names of those who are gone, but we now have mention of Stormcast who can no longer be reforged, willingly giving of themselves to create these things called star bridges um, that are in the storm keeps now. And so Will had noticed this first. Do you want to talk about the star bridges? Yeah. So the thing that's really got me about the star bridges, like you said, that they they are powered by the souls of Stormcast. And it says that the, the souls of Stormcast were forged too many times. It's just one of the sources. Mm-hmm. I'm horrified to think of like the other souls that they're using to power these things. Yeah. But what they're doing is creating a direct link back to Azir. So we yep. have the cursed skies and we have Thunderstrike armor where people can punch through. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that armor, in order for your soul not to get caught, you better hope that you're near one of the major cities with these star bridges so your soul can get back. But then, like you just like just like what you just said, they're not sticking near the cities. They're leading these expeditions further out. Uh, so what I'm hearing is that if you're a normal Stormcast army, you're on Wi-Fi. But <laughs> if you've got Stormstrike armor, you're at 5G. <laughs> but if you're near one of these Star Bridgers, you've got a landline and you are like yeah. good to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, like I know it's a, it's a joke, but also that actually seems to be the way that it's working at this point. Yeah. Is that there is spotty reception. Uh, you may not get back if you're not in Thunderstrike armor. If you are in Thunderstrike armor, you've got a pretty good chance of being able to home in and get back to the reforging. Um, but again, these star bridges are this brand new thing that apparently is necessary. And they collect souls from a specific area to assist. It's, it's 
Yeah. There are problems. The, 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 the play out of this is that there are problems with the Stormcast right now. And yeah. they are throwing in as many fixes as they can to try and make it work. But it's obvious that there is a big issue that is not working. And that is the flaw in the reforging. Right, everything is like, oh, there's this flaw. We're working on it. Oh, there's this flaw. We're working on it. Grungy's like, there's this flaw. I was working on it. Still couldn't figure it out. But here, I'll make you this cool new armor. Right, like everybody is trying to figure out what's going on. And there's even a crusade of the Stormcast into Shyish, trying to figure out. And one of the other stories was about um, one character in specific who's convinced that if she can die often enough that she will finally have a memory that she thinks can help with the reforging that will finally come to the surface. Like it, bad things are happening <laughs> and, and, yeah. and uh, there's going to be some consequence one would think eventually to this haste and uh, this forced recycling. Um, so that's, that's a cool thread to pick up. I think everything's going to be fine. I don't know what you guys are worried about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And this, actually, I didn't know that we were going to go as deep into this as we were, because this also ties into a question that um, Klaus, M.A., patron of the Moral Realms, um, just as an aside, hey, guys, if you want to be a, a patron of the Moral Realms, and then when I read your question, I will I will lead with patron, uh, yada, yada, whatever your name is. Uh, you can head on over to themoralrealms.com slash Patreon and join up there. Or I think you can go to patreon.com slash the mortal realms either one take your pick um and uh become a patron there and uh, you'll get that fun title that i just gave klaus anyways um he had asked something that we just talked about so i, I want to make sure that we we bring up his question and that he said this uh, stormcast eternal were the saving grace and heralded as the dawn of age of sigmar um pun intended as per company policy thank you uh <laughs> your checks in the mail uh we then find out that they were flawed if not on the battlefield but then in the lore uh, the reforging was a way to counter the endless forces of chaos but now chaos has foiled their competitive advantage with the cursed skies what price are stormcast Eterner eternals paying for overcoming that challenge i think we just talked about that price sorry we did it out of order we should ask the question first yeah. um and then he had a follow-up question that we could probably bring up now uh are they still the main threat to chaos? Well, maybe that's a bigger that's a bigger topic. Yeah. Maybe we put a pin in that. You guys think about it, and we'll we'll circle back once we get through the timeline. Are they still the main threat to chaos? We'll see. Maybe the answer will reveal itself. Um, the answer I'd, will shock you. <laughs> shock me, shock me, shock me. Um, so I had mentioned that there were three topics that we were going to talk about in the age of beast we just talked about the thunderstrike armor and all that it comes with also let's look at some of the dragon stuff here darth alec who's asked a lot of questions this episode get ready audience um he asked uh thoughts on the dragon seraphon stormcast triple alliance what do we think about that what are our takes i am a fan um this this cool triple alliance this cool patriconis it's what got me to go, well, maybe Stormcast actually are cool again, and that's why I'm painting up <laughs> Stormcast currently. But I I think it's just like a cool Age of Sigmar twist on the classic idea of like a knight and a dragon. Like, it, mm -hmm. it's a concept as old as fantasy, but when you look at it through the lens of Age of like it's inherently Age of Sigmar in the way that they're sort of implementing it with these knights and they're tying it into Dracothian and that connection has existed even before we knew the Draconith were there that Dracothian and Sigmar were 
uh, had that linkage since they found each other. And I just like that it's an expansion on a lot of the themes that we've seen before. Very cool. Paul, what do you think? Um, I think what Darth Alec is also trying to say is that wouldn't it make sense if the Draconith and the Dracoths and Dracothian all were the same thing or were somehow in it together? Um, and I don't, I don't think that because uh, GW first and foremost is a models company and a rules company and narrative company second. And the models don't look similar enough to me to say that they all should be the same. Um, and I like that even the mounts, even, you know, these special characters get their own agency, have their own story and their own way of working um, that can create the narrative. So I'm always going to be appreciative of that in addition to it, because obviously with the Stormcast, the, 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 the closest you can come to is, well, we have these redeemed and it's kind of weird to work with them. But we're all have sparks of Sigmar in our souls and we're all fighting this war. So having a civil war between Stormcast is not something we're really going to be able to do. But with these Dracoths and these Star Drakes and this tension with Dracothian and the Draconeth, like it actually I think it adds a little bit more interest to the the battle tome and the forces themselves because they are allowed to have some like inviting, some actual like grudges against each other and i think that's kind of cool um okay cool i'm gonna i'm gonna take a step back and i'll say let's maybe even describe how this pact draconis came to be um you'll recall i think we did a flashback in the Cragness episode about how <laughs> yeah just, just like that. uh the draconis with this ancient race of dragons like we said it was like the first story in our in our timeline here pre sigmar and uh visiting the well, not visiting, rolling up on the the mortal realms. Uh, Kragnos basically destroyed them as is, uh, is, is much as something can be destroyed, uh, leaving like the two princes alive, and he's going on a mission to smash all their eggs. Uh, the Draconith see the writings on the wall. They can't stand against this who's dude who's becoming quickly a god, um, and they make a deal with the Slan to save their eggs Um so the Kragnos can't smash them all up, and then the, the two princes go into hiding. I don't know where they went, but they were gone. Um, so then flash forward to the present day, we realize, oh no, Kragnos is back. He kicked his way out of a mountain. Um, the Draconith, um, they call out to this, this, I mean, I don't know, if, how do they get a hold of the slime? I can't remember, but this, they say, hey, look, now's the time. We're going to start, cra- start hatching our eggs. Um, we're going to release the race back into the world, and we're going to ally with the Stormcast, um, which is what this pact Draconis is. Man, I really glossed over how that works but um i think i I got the main points right um well but i think this is actually a problem with this battle tome not because anything is wrong with the battle tome but there is so much history that has been created for age of sigmar and this is actually something that i've i've thought about this battle tome in general is that we can't actually cover every little bit in this battle tome (laughs) there is so much new stuff there is so much clarified stuff. There is so much just stuff, right? So much lore that ties into all these other awesome stories and all these other episodes. I know we've been talking about like, oh, hey, if you want to hear about that, go talk to this episode. Because as I said at the top, like the actual narrative itself is a massive chunk of fiction. And it's really hard to encompass everything because we're literally telling the entire story of Age of Sigmar in the last six years in order to recap what the Stormcast Eternals are, where they have come from, and what we think is going to happen. And 
I think it's the first time I've ever read an army book, a codex, or a battle tome where it feels a little overwhelming to try and summarize everything um, in a way that makes sense <laughs> because it is so much information and there are so many things that are cool and amazing and it's just it's not possible to have that much time <laughs> to go through all the little ideas. So I, I think you did a great job, Aaron, but I, I also thought it was just a great moment to bring up like that that's actually a problem with the battle tome like if you have one battle tome that you're like i'm gonna i'm listening to the episode and it's super cool but i'm wondering if there's anything different or fun in the battle tome we didn't cover like this is the battle tome to buy because there is so much content it's awesome everything i do is a great job um so uh to 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 Echo what you said. the The history of the Stormcast is the history of uh, the Age of Sigmar. Essentially, they're intertwined and inextricable. Um, in terms of thoughts of how the the Triple Alliance of the Dragon, Seraphon, and Stormcast was, I'll, I'll start with models are awesome. I love the models. They're probably the best models in the in the new range. Uh, oh, I can't yeah. get enough of them. They're fantastic. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, I did not care for the story uh, for almost the exact opposite reasons that Paul uh, liked it. Um, I'm trying to even call back to what you just said, but I remember shaking my head at most of the <laughs> things you said. Um, I I wish there was a better way to get those models into the range than the way they uh, describe it here. It seems, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's a classic, uh, no, these things always existed, and here's this not very convincing reason as to why they always existed. The uh, the demigriffs were in the forest all along kind of thing, um, and so I didn't necessarily care for it, but I'm not going to be a bummer about it, so I'm not going to dwell too much on it. Plus, the models are so great that I'm willing to forgive some measure of uh, dissatisfaction. Um, third topic, Age of uh, is this Dawnbringer Crusades. Um, we, talked, we touched on him a little bit. Uh, Countess Ellis Neonet asks, um, are there any more interesting Dawnbringer Crusade details in the Battle Tome? Did, anything, uh, did you learn anything about the Dawnbringer Crusades um, in this year tome? Yeah. And if so, tell me about it. So there was something um, that I read in one of the beginnings, the beginning section that I thought was just super awesome. Um, they're talking about how they they have a book of Vandis that they read in the Sigmarite churches and the martyrdom of Jackdos. They read these readings and then in Hallahart's Grand Conclave is filled with sculpture by elven master artists. Um, they have Stations of the Blessed Iron in uh, Vindicarum, I think. Um, so they've actually pulled out the narrative more to make unique quote relics to make difference of six cities of Sigmar as these pilgrimage sites. So it's not just like, Oh, Sigmar says we should do these things. So therefore we go and do it. Like there's actually reasons for moving between these different cities of Sigmar. There's actually treasures that are unique to that city that they are defending. Um, this book did a really good job in my mind of, detailing why the average person living in the realms would care that Sigmar wants these things to happen, right? They're creating far more of an in-depth understanding of what living in underneath Sigmar means to the average person, which to me really reinforces why you would go on a crusade to go and found new nexus points and to go and start new cities right um so that was super cool um there are a ton of just like there's a ton of detail just describing 
what exactly is a Dawnbringer Crusade? Who exactly is a part of the Dawnbringer Crusade? Where do the Dawnbringer Crusades go to? Which parts of the Stormcast actually, you know, like facilitate that? So the Vanguard chapters, or sorry, the Vanguard uh, chamber actually apparently is the thing that goes out and finds these nexuses. They actually go and find these places of power and then direct where the Crusades should go. So it, it's not just a simple point and shoot. Um, there's this whole background that they're creating around why we're going here, why we would know the area, all that kind of thing. So um, there is a ton about the Dawnbringer Crusades in here. It's it's and it's it's definitely worth a read. Right on. Uh, well, did, did you learn anything about the Dawnbringer Crusades that you didn't know? Not really much outside of like what either Paul had mentioned or just like the Stormcasts role in these Dawnbringer Crusades. And this might just be like my own misconception from reading the core rule book, but I had always envisioned that like it was not just primarily mortals, but that many of them were almost exclusively being led by mortals. So hearing that like almost all of these do have Stormcast at the forefront, being the minority in those armies was a revelation for me, at least. Maybe I just didn't read the the core book as thoroughly. But well, didn't they talk about that? Yeah, a lot of times they had the stormcast come with, but there were occasions where sometimes it was just it, it was just mortals. But those the track records of those dom maybe I didn't make this up that the track records of those dombringer crusades were not great, and that like it was almost a guarantee that they were doomed from the start. And if they didn't have like a stormcast contingent they were just almost get, like they're going to get wiped out for sure they were practically like written off yeah the, yep. from the get-go yeah so that's something i didn't know i mean or just like i haven't seen it spelled out so clearly that like you're you're gonna really want a stormcast uh you know force with you otherwise um you're basically signing your own death warrant yeah it's a tax write-off <laughs> oh man <laughs> death and taxes um it's either a tax write-off or this is a super dark interpretation um that was not mentioned in the book but let's just think about it here for a second. So the problem with the Stormcast is they're having problems getting up through the cursed skies, right? The chambers are only in half strength. How the heck are you going to get more people to go and sacrifice themselves for Sigmar unless you just send the populace out to go and sacrifice themselves for Sigmar? <laughs> How many more Stormcasts are we going to get if we send mortals to their death? We're probably going to get a lot more Stormcast, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, but like Sigmar has proven that he can just like steal alive people, right? He doesn't need them to like kill themselves to do. Well, I don't but they know. need we to prove need to themselves to him. Yeah, yeah they need to be yeah, proven. And I would have done a mic drop, but I don't want to break my mic. But I was gonna like I was thinking <laughs> mic drop. You got to get that extended warranty for all your mic drops, Paul. Um, <laughs> any other Dawnbringer Crusade thoughts? And if not, any other Age Beast thoughts? Thoughts, guys. We made it. No. We're present day. We're all the way here. It's been a slog. Good job, team. Um, let's break out of this. What is this? It's not a history class. Um, we want. There's other facts and figures you want to learn about. Um, let's take a step back from this history and instead talk about maybe the Stormcast generally or as a whole or like uh, what makes them who they are, so to speak. Um, there were a few questions uh, about how the faction is organized these days. We've had so many battle tomes. I looked it up. I think this is the sixth battle tome now at this point. Um, you can imagine that there's been a little bit of a disarray or uh, quite a bit of an evolution of, is in, in terms of the organization of, of Stormcast. Um, 
feel free to be as specific or as general as you'd like. But how how did how do you feel that the the Stormcast Eternals uh, or are organized, and what uh, what jumped out at you there? I think they have a a frankly messy structure, but overall a structure that I think works. Um, if that makes any sense, so. At the, the highest level, the Stormcasts are broken up into different Storm hosts, essentially the, the different colors of the armor. And we can talk more about like what those specific Storm hosts are later. And from there, like you have like special temples where heroes can train, but the, the bulk of their organization comes in these chambers. So we had mentioned that we, at the beginning, there were just the liberators and the prosecutors and the judicators, like that's the warrior chamber. We talked about the sacrosanct, which were the, the, the mage chambers and the vanguard auxiliary chamber. And it's like the chambers are more or less like the groupings of different types of soldiers. And then if you go a little bit deeper, that's where things start to get a little messier, but I like I personally think it works out because within these chambers we have conclaves, which are where individual soldiers have their like specialties. An example I wanted to call out is the Redeemer Conclave. These are your standard foot soldiers, but they look different depending on the chamber they're in. So the warrior chamber redeemers are going to be your liberators, the very standard looking stormcast. They have a hammer and they have a shield and they have their special armor. But then for the sacrosanct, you have sequiturs and these are the ones wearing robes and they have a mace and they have a shield and they can use a little bit of magic. And you can have people from the same conclave, such as redeemer, fulfilling the same role, but how they do it is different based on the chamber that they're in. Yeah, I would like to, I'd call it as um, the conclave is what you do in your chamber is how you do it, maybe, or how you look, how you look while doing it, maybe. I don't even know if you yeah, do, yeah. necessarily do it differently, but maybe you do it in a different <laughs> visual way um, is, is one way to look. So like your conclaves can cross chambers. Uh, yeah, that, that if it was just that way, that would be very helpful, but uh, as we find there's always exceptions to that or, you know, individuals that sort of break that mold. But generally that is the box that exists. And then we find examples of things that sort of think outside the box. Um, but I'm trying to think if I have anything else to add. I mean, there's the whole leadership concept as well. And that we're, we're dealing with a two tiered leadership structure where um, whether it's storm hosts or chambers or what do they call even um, they use a different word for unions. Um, like a unit in the game is called ah nuts. What is it called? It's like contingent or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, uh, retinue. Yeah, retinue. Exactly. Exactly. So like there there are different you know tiers at that level, but then even beyond that, there um, is sort of a broad hierarchy between our lords, which are 
for lack of a, I don't have another word for Lord. I mean, it is just like your higher tier um, type of leadership who are then um, sort of supported by their knights, which is the, the second tier uh, leadership as well. And there's a wide range from any, any battlefield role you can, you can imagine. Um, there are Lords that would do it. And then also um, there are knights underneath them serving each of the uh, typically serving sort of the chambers or, or the chambers of inform sort of the form and function of these Lords and uh, knights it's not worth getting there's way too many to even get into most of them um but maybe we can touch on some of the newer ones when we get there did you also talk about the brotherhoods no not at all by all means chime in so what everything that will said is absolutely correct and there is nothing incorrect about what he said in any way shape or form Mm. however in addition (laughs) there are also brotherhoods and brotherhoods are basically just like this thing needs to be done all right, I'm in charge. I need these things to go do this thing. doesn't matter what conclave, doesn't matter what host. These are the things that I need to do the thing. Okay, we're now a brotherhood. And that brotherhood can go and do whatever uh, they need to for indefinite amounts of time. And they may disband immediately upon finishing their purpose, or they may stay together for longer points of time. Um, and I only bring that up to point out that how are the Stormcast organized? Whatever way you want them to be organized is totally fine because they have ways of making any organization work, right? If you want to put Draconith with Dracoths with Liberators, there's a, there's a organization for that, right? If you want to put prosecutors and Stormtrike chariots, and then you want to add some judicators, there's an organization for that. If you want to run the Vanguard chapter or the Vanguard chamber, there's definitely an organization for that. Um, everything is very flexible and it has some hard and fast statements, um, but all of them kind of allow everything to work together. And, you know, you only want a couple units of Stormcast? Fine, run a Dawnbringer Crusade. That totally works too. Like everything works uh, for the Stormcast. Yeah, and that's why I say like it's it's messy because that messiness is where your freedom as a player lives. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, normally we talk about, or sometimes I bring up this topic and I say, we already talked about it, which is what I'm going to do right now. And that it's worth, you, you know, an army by, um, knowing what motivates them or what their goals are. But I think it's very clear have, what we talked about this far, what, what's motivating the, the, the Stormcast is their need to reclaim the moral realms from the forces of chaos and then also destruction and death, depending on who the enemy of the day is. Um, and re-establish it as a place um, for those forces of order to, I don't know, survive, thrive, uh, you know, bring back those halcyon days uh, of the age of myth. Do you guys have any other motivations uh, from our Stormcast that are worth uh, bringing up? Well, what we haven't have glanced over a little bit is that they also have their memories. Um, So a lot of the newer Stormcast, their motivations are who they were in life. Um, but Ooh, the more small scale, ref- yeah. Yeah, the more reforged you go, it's whatever Sigmar has told me to do, right? And the reason why I bring that up is because some of the coolest stories that we have about Stormcast are, and the Brotherhoods come in here too, where somebody says, "I have been killed. I have been reforged as a Stormcast." And you know what? That Corgus Cole guy, like I hate him. I'm gonna make it my immortal life's work to make sure that he goes down 
and then you form a brotherhood for that specific purpose to go take him out. Right. Um, and that's a super important part of the actual coolness of a stormcast. Um, and the other thing is that some of these personality quirks, which for a normal, uh, you know, a normal general, right. You know, like I, if I'm running my living city general and he's like kind of a hunter and he likes to be in the shadows and lead from the back until he knows that the strike will be a full strike and make it work. Right. Like that's just who my character is because my character is a human, right. For a storm cast, it's like, Oh yeah, he does that because he has these echoes of this memory from his life and his son died from this thing. So therefore that's bad for him. Right. Or no, he's actually got like a lightning man that tells him what's <laughs> going to happen. And that's why he has this little quirk, right? If a Stormcast has a quirk, it's absolutely intentional and it is a fundamental part of his character. And that is a cool thing we don't see in other armies um, in other battle tomes that you have to really come up with a permanent reason for why this would happen, right? But it, it is also one of the coolest things about Stormcast is that even though you may have the same character, they're constantly evolving as they lose something, right? So that's cool. Yeah, true. Um, Will, do you got any other motivations you want to talk about? No, just like part of that motivation is like for like a lot of them, they, they don't want to give up themselves. And we kind of see like some groups like creating identities that they think may be from their past or they forge identities like together in their brotherhoods just so they have some bit of what they think is themselves, even if it's not who they were when they were once mortal. So I think like that idea of just trying to hold on to something is a huge motivator for many of them. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Pulling the camera back a little bit, expanding the view. We're talking about sort of the, the motivations of like Stormcast as a, as a collective um, to that same end. Uh, they obviously can't take the realms back themselves um, as we've, we've sort of, touched on a few of the allies or i'll say allies in quotes um who are sort of the stormcast's allies um who, who do they who do they count on um in this crazy world crazy mixed up world of theirs uh and then we'll ask who the enemies are next but are there any allies that you, you guys really need feel are worth calling out uh to, to the stormcast eternals um cities of sigmar are a super strong ally um basically all the lore ties them both together intrinsically with each other. Um, and I think the Seraphon could be considered a pretty key um, ally as well. Um, there's a lot of little things that tie them together. The Seraphon have been talked about specifically helping with the, um, the Dawnbringer Crusades. Um, the Seraphon have a super strong bond with the Dracoths and the Dragoniths. So in that um, way as well they are super bonded to that idea um, one of the main new figures that we got Krondis um, spent pretty much the entire time when he was in exile in the, the celestial heavens um, communing with the Seraphon uh, so um, those would be my two big ones yeah and then like the the answer for almost everyone else is like they are sometimes allies 
all of the other forces of order will fight alongside the Stormcast, and we have many situations where there are bonds between specific Storm hosts based on like where they physically are forging these alliances. But like there is still bad blood in order as a whole from that whole burning skies thing where Sigmar fought alone while everyone else was doing their own thing. And with the, with the penumbral engines and Sigmar sort of stealing knowledge from the elves and with Marathi stabbing him in the back and Alariel going into exile and all this stuff. It's, it's hard to say that Sigmar has any like true allies, but he has a large pool of people that he can pull into these conflicts to almost form like those temporary brotherhoods, but across factions. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true. It's, it's, there's a reason why the Pantheon was always sort of tenuous to begin with, right? Like there was already cracks, even as far back as the age of myth. And there's a continuous sort of an attempt to repair what cracks he can with those other order uh, gods. But like, it's, it's a, it's a tough row to hoe. Um, And uh, I feel like when you're a god, you've got a long memory, uh, a lot of, uh, when, when focusing on some of the slights that you've endured. Um, But that's to say nothing of the enemies then uh, of, of the Stormcast. And of these, there are many. Um, they, are, they come from all shapes and sizes, basically. So uh, we talked about how the Stormcast were obviously uh, created as a response to the Age of Chaos. Thus, essentially, all, all forces of chaos are, are uh, persona no grata, I guess. Uh, not, not, big, not big fans um, uh, of, of the Stormcast, and uh, the feeling is mutual. Um, but it doesn't stop there. It, it, it's... <laughs> interesting in that he also finds enemies, he being Sigmar, um, in the forces of death and destruction, um, both of sort of them or their their leaders were one-time allies. And so that has a sort of a poetic, um, maybe not poetic, but a, a, a certain level of tragedy uh, behind him, knowing that at one point he did work alongside Gorkamorka and Nagash, but um, those alliances have long since um, fallen apart. And I think depending on who you ask, the forces of death and destruction are right up there with um, chaos, depending on, you know, depending on the day and what, you know, what his mood is, uh, essentially. <laughs> he has um, few, uh, very, very little love lost um, from both, all three of those, I guess, grand alliances, which covers a, a wide swath of the uh, residents of the mortal realms. Um, anything you guys want to say about the enemies? Um, I think this is a good time to bring up uh, patron Klaus M.A.'s question of is like are the Stormcast still the main threat to chaos? Perfect timing. Talking this animosity, <laughs> and my answer is yes. I do think that as a whole, like it is the the Stormcast are chaos's greatest foe. The only reason you would think that someone else is a real challenge to chaos is Catacross has his own little foothold in the eight points, but that's only like one front of battle where we have the Dombringer Crusades and the Stormcast trying to conquer every square mile of territory that used to be owned by chaos. Um, Catacross is a convenient distraction for Archaon, but I, like I, no one would say he is the biggest threat to chaos. Well, Catacross might say that. 
Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you there uh, for a narrative reason. Uh, and I'm going to say that Illyrial is actually the biggest threat to chaos right now. Ooh. Get out of what are you doing? Okay, whatever. We're going for it. Because um, she is in complete ascendancy at the end of Broken Realms. To the point where she's destroying Sigmar's stuff that he doesn't necessarily want destroyed. He's just she's destroying Seraphon stuff, right? If if there is a god that is at ascendancy right now, it is Illyriel. Um, and Illyriel has always hated chaos, and particularly Nurgle. So I, I I will definitely take the argument that for three of the four chaos gods, Stormcast could probably be considered to be their greatest foe, although I think they've done a great job of like parsing out that the elves in particular hate Slanesh and oh yeah right um, and so like Stormcast are absolutely against Corn and they're definitely Corn's greatest foe right um, Zinch I don't know who you would put there um, to be their greatest foe but as far as Nurgle is concerned Alariel is absolutely going to be the top one against um, all of Nurgle's forces. And like I said, I, I because she is in ascendancy, I think there is a there's a reason to say that she is the biggest threat to chaos right now. Yeah, and we we still don't know the full extent of the repercussions of her big plays. So yep. yeah, she did hint. She had a lot of hints. So oh, we'll yeah. see how that plays out. All right, let's shift gears entirely. Uh, let's see where the rubber hits the road or where the the lore hits. The tabletop. I don't know if that's a great metaphor, um, but there were there were a, a bunch of new units or models introduced uh, in this battle tome on top of hands down the largest range that existed um, in the in the game to begin with. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to parse. Um, let's let's try this. How about I would love to hear your guys' favorite new units, models, characters um, that have been introduced. Uh, into the the battle tome with uh, AOS 3.0, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to explain why. So cite your sources, um, show your work, um, <laughs> and talk about what what some of your favorites are. There's a lot there's a lot to like in this book. So Will, being the guest, I want to hear what your favorite um, new stuff is. Yeah, so I'm gonna like hop into my new favorite like unit. It is the Knight Relictor because. Um, some background, the Lord Relictor is one of the, not one of, it came in the first box of Age of Sigmar models and like has been cruised to the lore. And now we have the new, less powerful version. But the reason I think this unit is super cool is, and why I picked it is because it actually calls back to something Paul had theorized earlier about the Dawnbringer Crusades potentially giving us more Stormcast. Uh, the cool thing about the Knight's Relictor is that they they burn, like, the bones of saints, like, sacrificing, the like, these relics of martyrs to protect the souls of Stormcast. And they say that they they take these these bones, they take the, the parts of these martyrs from those who die in the Crusades, and yet even that is a limited resource. So they are going about like sending people along on these holy wars to get this religious power and it's still not enough. I mean, watch out in uh, in Illinois and in a couple of weeks then, uh, will I just say be safe. Yeah, right? It's going to be some havoc. <laughs> uh Paul, what was what was your what was your favorite? I really enjoyed uh Bastian Carthalos. 
I enjoyed his old lore, his mortal lore, his uh, cleansing wazir lore, and uh, just an awesome model. So all three of, the, three of those things together are super cool. So I liked him a lot. Yeah, right on. Um, I thought for sure someone was going to say the Storm Drake Guard because mm-hmm. obviously those are the best. And so I didn't even bother to like prepare my spiel for them because I'm like, I'm going to let someone else have them. But like, they're, they're, they're awesome. They're just, I mean, from an aesthetic standpoint, they're, they're hands down the cool, in my opinion, uh, the, the coolest. Um, so essentially, I'm trying to think what, what stands out for them beyond the fact that so these are newly hatched Dracoths, no, Draconiths, I'm sorry. Um, the, you know, from the eggs that were sort of held by uh, the Seraphon, um, they bond with, you know, a Stormcast um, after, you know, after like watching them for a long time, because the, the, the Draconis are, are discerning uh, mount and they don't want, won't let you, won't just let anyone uh, ride them. And so eventually they'll, they'll follow a Stormcast and sort of circle above them, keeping an eye on them. And eventually if they determine, you know, that they're strong enough or brave enough or what have you, or they're, they're dedicated enough to sort of reconquering the realms, they'll, they'll, um, swoop down and, and, and through violence, um, sort of bond with, uh, the Stormcast. Uh, that's kind of a standard, uh, story, um, or, you know, explanation. <laughs> a tale as old as time. A tale, I was, I was literally thinking that in my head, um, <laughs> it, which makes sense. And then it ends up makes up, ends up making a really cool unit. Um, what, one thing that jumps out at me is the fact that, the, um, from a hierarchy perspective, we were talking with, um, shadow claimer earlier about this in the discord it's odd that these guys sort of eschew any sort of hierarchy or like uh, organizational st- structure uh, yeah. in the um stormcast echelons um they don't you know they don't report to the regular you know chamber leadership that they would normally so they're sort of outside that structure i think that's weird i don't know why that is it must be something to do with the fact that like the draconiths don't owe allegiance to anybody. And so maybe it would be unfair to sort of saddle them underneath a Lord Celestant or something. Yeah. So that, I guess that's why. That, that was, that was my um, reading of it as well. Like they're not, they're not Stormcast, so they're not going to go into Stormcast structure at any moment. They could just leave if they wanted to. Sure. Why, but why would they? Um, well, the other thing is I, I thought I read that the Draconith are actually on a quest to, uh, protect and find more Draconith and mm-hmm. to actually claim the realms for the Draconith as well. Yep. Yeah. They are rebuilding the Draconith Empire. Um, and Which, that can't go wrong ever, will it? No, absolutely no. not. Um, it's probably worth mentioning that the Draconith, like the difference between like the Draconith and like the Storm Azir based Draco things that we've seen before is, um, as I just said, uh, like the Star Drakes and the Dracos, they're they're very much like residents and like they're creatures of Azir, um, and it's sort of reflected on you know their abilities and you know how they see themselves. Where the Draconith, um, I think if they didn't just exclusively uh, came from Gur, like that's where they spent a lot of time, right? And they're much more of the realms, so to speak. And so that's like one of the distinctions between the two groups, which I guess yeah. I can buy. Yeah, and I love like how like this is just such a dumb thing that I enjoy. <laughs> that's on the model of them is that every single Draconith model has mutton chops. Like, <laughs> I, like despite being scaled dragons, they all have hairy mutton chops and it They're is all Elvis. It's the greatest gift. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, we all have things that we love. You yeah. love mutton chops on dragons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I learned something. I learned something about you uh, today. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> what I was uh, going to talk about, because I assume someone is going to talk about the Storm Drake Guard, is that I was I'm also a big fan of the Vigilors, just because they look really, really cool, and they uh, seem like Storm Cash versions of uh, Waywashers from what else, which I thought Ooh, were super cool. neat. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the, you know, they got their swords and they got the bows at the same time, and they're looking very agile. I'm like, oh, those guys are Stormcast Waywatchers. Um, any other units or things that you guys want to chat about? Grab dry, uh, favorite, least favorite, maybe? I don't know, not to be negative, but... Yeah, so I'm going to pair the two dragon characters together as, like, a favorite, unique character, partially because they come in the same box, so it counts. Um... But so Krondus and Karazai, they they are the two named Draconiths who like existed in the story. And I knew I was going to say this later, so I didn't mention it before when you mentioned you don't know what they were doing during the Age of Chaos or where they went. But what they were doing is that Karazai, the, the Scarred, was like a normal prince who then turned around after his empire was destroyed and just started punching everything in Gur and just never stopped. And he doesn't really ally with anyone. He just shows up the night before a battle just to kill things. Uh, whereas like Krondus is like the more regal. He's the more princely. His title is son of Dracothian. And I think you had mentioned this, Aaron. He was just hanging out in his ear the whole time, just like kind of, watching the Stormcast, hanging out with Bassie and Carthalos, killing Dragon Ogres, and then when Kragno showed up, he he started calling the alarm. And I think it's interesting that you, you've got these two Draconists who start at the same point, but then went on two wildly divergent paths. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, the, the son of Dracothian, so that's what I was going to say. Uh, I mean, a lot of people... I, I, a lot of folks claim that they're the son of Dracothian. So, I mean, what? Who's to say, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. His 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 yeah. his lineage is a little muddy at at some point. Um, but it, I think it was cool that like the more civilized of the two brothers is all like into magic and stuff. But the the scarred who had taken a beating from Kragnos uh, had basically succumbed to sort of his bestial nature. And I, I, if I understand, he's not like a caster at all. Um, if I understand correctly, so I like that sort of two sides of a similar coin, but they're very. Very different and similar at the same time. Um, very cool. Uh, I guess we're talking about special characters now. We could probably talk about a few of the other ones that have been introduced uh, in this book. Is there even a few or is there only one more? No, I guess there's only the one more. Um, and that is Andrasta, the Celestial Spear, who shows up in the Dominion box. Um, I, we had mentioned her earlier, and then I'm trying to think what else there is. Before she was reforged, she was a garish... I want to say War Queen. At the very least, she was a no. She wasn't the queen specifically, nope. wasn't. Yeah. Because um, her her queen died, and she led like a battalion armada. I don't know what you call it when they fly, but are land creatures and a group of Pegasus knights into battle, and like she she is very much a person of Gur, and that stuck with her when she was reforged. She. Now has super cool wings. It never says if they're like just bird wings for being from Gur or if they are Pegasus wings because she was a Pegasus knight. My money says Pegasus wings. Yeah, which is just interesting to think about. Um, but she she is Sigmar's hunter. She goes around killing great beasts. I had talked about her in the, the frozen lightning story of just like flying in to kill the, the Lord and like her, her purpose is just to find the biggest thing 
and kill it. It mentions that she's killed Dragon Emperor. She's killed like all of these great foes, but she still has a list of creatures that she needs to take down. Right now, the main one is Kragnos. She, her whole thing in the current story is hunting down this big horse man and putting him down. Yeah, and it's I think only a matter of time before they they come head to head, right? They've been telegraphing this fight for so long um, on pay per view. Tune in um, <laughs> that it, I, I think it's a sure thing that they're going to eventually clash or big missed opportunity if not. Um, one thing I thought it was interesting about her is she ties into like Sigmar's like great bolts somehow. So she was like what what had like killed or like killed her tribe or something was this great was it it's a bloodthirster bloodthirster yeah. um, called Doom. It's a demon king, is what it oh, was listed. Uh, some sort of demon. So it might have been a bloodthirster, but it, it was also definitely a demon king. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so she's fighting it to the death, right? And so she gets it into this lock, and she calls up to Sigmar, saying, "Hey, look, um, take us both out." Um, and so, and do, he 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 hurls one of his great bolts, which I don't know too much about. Like this is this battle tome is the first time I was really exposed to them. Um, he's got these twelve bolts, but this was a big one, and uh, it it you know it doesn't straight up kill the demon because you can't really kill a demon and it presumably just got rocketed back to the realm of chaos but um it is what kicked off her um introduction to the Stormcast, and so that demon is also on her list on her to-do list um alongside kragnos as well so the 12 volts uh, there are also a couple of like i said earlier callbacks to the old world so the 12 volts seem to be a callback to the old world but their aos now so one of the um, one of the storm hosts worships a blade spirit of twelve swords of Sigmar, which were the rune fang in the old world. But now we have the bolts of Sigmar, which are the new rune fang, right? The, his new weapons. But because he leads the stormcast, so Bastion Carthalos is one of those storm bolts. Uh, Dark Alex asked a question about this. Um, Yindrasa is one of them as well. Um, so it's interesting that we have two of the storm bolts that are listed, but then the Celestine Prime is not one of the bolts. Um, but he's given Galmaraz, which is the artifact that Sigmar had from the old world. So is that not enough? Paul? <laughs> well, he didn't move until he had it, so it is exactly enough. And nothing but Galmaraz is enough apparently for the Celestine Prime. So, um, so are we going to see more of this? I would think so. Usually, when they introduce a finite number of a thing, we see up to fifty percent, you know, or more. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I imagine we are going to see at least a couple more characters made from the Great Bolts. Um, but who knows what they are? You like. It could be kind of anything or any one, really. So, yeah, here's to hoping. Yeah. Um, Bastion Carthalos, Paul, you'd brought Carthalos, you'd brought him up earlier. He's uh, one of the, he was the first Lord Commander that we know about. We, we right. didn't really get into his backstory at all. Um, but you'd mentioned because yeah. he had also taken a great bolt. Um, well, but the interesting thing is he's not the only named Lord Commander, though. There are a couple of other named Lord Commanders in this book. But he's definitely the first one to get a model. Oh, yeah. True, true, true. And also, like, was he the first name? Like, I don't know. Was he the first Lord Commander out of all of them? I, I, maybe I'm, not maybe I'm first, adding something. So the Celestine Prime is the first Stormcast that was created. 
and Bastian Carthalos was was became a Stormcast early on, but he was not the first to be made into a Stormcast, even of the people after the Celestine Prime. He proved himself in battle in the scouring of Azir. And then that is when he was named uh, the Celestine Prime. Or the, the, I'm sorry, the Lord. Um, Commander. Yeah, the Lord Commander. And I do really enjoy that Sigmar calls him the late yeah. Um, Bastion, because he was the last person through the realm gate before he closed it. Like, it's just like, <laughs> all right, I saved you and I saved all of Azir for like years fighting so you could leave in. And what happens when I get to Azir? Sigmar's like, oh, <laughs> you're the late one <laughs> for the next like millennia. It's just like, yeah, it's amusing. Yeah. Well, I, I love it because, Aaron, you had talked about, like, that battle was the first time we actually see Sigmar fighting alongside humans. And it's interesting, like, how he reacts and talks to the people in the Age of Myth. He fought alongside them. He's got nicknames for them. But then you don't see that carry forward as more and more Stormcast join the ranks. So just, like, the Stormcast themselves lose their humanity Sigmar sort of loses that connection to the humans that he once had. Yeah, he kind of becomes less and less of like that barbarian king, you know, always on the front lines smashing things up with hammer and becomes much more of a thoughtful, like uh, reflective, um, you know, he has to rely on his on his brains as opposed to his fists, especially because he was missing his hammer for so long. So it's hard to rely on that too. But it is, it is interesting to see sort of that evolution. And isn't that kind of like the classic um, transition from, you know, mythological gods in that, like, you know, there was a time long ago where the gods walked amongst us and, you know, did great miracles and things like that. But they're, they're, they're long since gone now. Um, it, it sort of mirrors um, a lot of that, you know, real life mythology that ex- exists, I don't know, maybe not today, yeah. but, you know, in our yeah. history, um, which is pretty neat. Uh, so as a Lord Commander... You say, well, where has he been? There's been a lot. There's been a lot of nonsense going on in the realms that he. I would reckon he he ought to have been dealing with. Uh, I know my boy Vandis Hammerhand's been out there on the front lines. Where has mm-hmm. uh, um, our Lord Commander been? Apparently, he's just been in uh, Azir planning, which is what you know the strongest, you know, best fighters. I guess I shouldn't be so dismissive of it. I, Sigmar had to do the exact same thing. It's just surprising to me to think that this Lord Commander, his name has not been uttered in six real life years. Um, he's well, just been hanging out. He is the late, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Man, again, that's a good point. Maybe that's an inside joke that I, I didn't put two and two together. Solid. Um, actually, speaking of Vandis Hammerhand, um, we had a question about Vandis that we'll bring up. Um, Darth Alec asked, uh, where do you think, nope, that's not what he said. Aaron, read the question. Uh, <laughs> where are GW going with the Lightning Man and Vandis? So, uh, Vandis Hammerhand. Everybody knows Vandis, right? You guys know Vandis. Um, oh, yeah. Another hammer, Sigmar, yeah. who I would have thought was the shoe in for the Lord Commander position, but apparently nobody asked me. Uh, <laughs> he it was like the, the, that first Lord Celestine model on a Dracoth. He was in all the Realm Gate Wars, kicking butt, taking names. Um, and uh, he had been reforged a handful of times. And at, at one point, he came back with the, pow- with the power of visions. Um, and uh, as time went on, and I think he was reforged multiple times after that, but he started actually seeing this lightning man first in his visions, but then also like in real life, like in the corner of his eyes and, you know, just, you know, always hounding him in some way. Um, and the question is, what is this, is this lightning man just a weird quirk of his reforging 
Um, or does it have some sort of knowledge? Does it have some sort of personality? Is it a, does it have agency? Is it a, is it a real character somehow? And where are we going with this? Because it seems to be haunting Vandis. Um, Darth Alec wants to know what you think GWU is going to do with this Lightning Man in the future. Do you guys have any thoughts? Um, I think that narratively GW is giving every main character for the Stormcast an obvious like idiosyncrasy or an obvious flaw. And I think this is definitely Vandis's, um, especially because it's not necessarily his flaw. It still allows him to be a pure Stormcast, right? but something is haunting him, which is also something that makes sense for Stormcast, even as they are newly forged, right? So I think that we are definitely going to see more of the Lightning Man. Um, in what context that's going to take, I don't know. Is he, it, it did say in the book that Vandis has a suspicion that perhaps this is him after he has been for, reforged beyond use right like that this lightning man is him in the future which is a completely interesting uh thing to think that there might be time travel or you know like some ability to travel back in time in order to communicate the one thing age of sigmar is missing is time travel (laughs) uh what do you think well where's this lightning man going yeah, that's a, a tough one because it, it talks about Vandis leading the Hammerhallian Crusades and like conquering new lands. And as he's doing it, he's just raiding like every library, every temple, like looking for information. I suspect if he comes back in a major way into the like the overarching narrative, it's because he's going to find some piece of forbidden knowledge some piece of, you know, forbidden power, so to speak. Yeah. We already had that release. Yeah. <laughs> forbidden, <laughs> double forbidden power. Verboten power. Um, Verboten. <laughs> my, my guess is it's going to have something to do with, like, lightning geists in the future. Um, yep. I know that's one of Paul's favorite theories uh, just in general, and that I think it it has the potential to be sort of linked into where they're going to go with the evolution of that sort of lightning aspect of the Stormcast. And so... I don't know what what shape that will take. Maybe just a ball of lightning, um, but I, th- I think there's enough of a connection there that we could see um, th- them linked up in, in somehow. So interestingly enough, actually, there is uh, one of the short stories in the Storm Host talked about the Knights Excelsior from Excelsis and how mm. people talk about how they are seen fighting on the battlefield with suits of Stormcast armor that have lightning striking out from them that don't completely contain the spirits within. So perhaps there are already lightning guys fighting in Stormcast armor in the realms. Um, so that may be something that we are already starting to see happen. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it's, I think they were making a, to agree with you, I think they were making a point to try and find like some like hallmark of each of these uh, storm hosts to, oh man, this is going to be a good segue. Check this out. Um, <laughs> to identify hallmarks of some of these storm hosts and uh, f- find ways to sort of link in their like reforging, I don't know, shortcomings or, or foibles in some way. And so that seems like that could be theirs, which is uh, pretty neat. Oh, damn it. There's a second part of the question, though. This isn't a good segue. Um, <laughs> Darth Alec also asks, uh, do you feel the lore justifies why all the old named characters are stuck in old pattern armor? Vandis and Gardas seem sure to be worthy of new digs. Um, 
that was a clunky transition. But I feel this, uh, Darth Alec. I feel it in my bones in that like they had just released Gardas in his sweet uh, superhero pose, um, but in the old armor. And not weeks later, uh, they introduced these new Thunderstrike armor. They hand wave it a little bit in the book in the Gardas's entry saying that like, oh no, he's cool. He's humble. He doesn't need that newfangled nonsense. Uh, when, when he, when he, in his day, they didn't need this, uh, explodey Thunderstrike armor, armor. They got the job done with a cloak made of hammers. Um, mm-hmm. and that's good enough for him. I find that excuse a little hollow. I think Gardas is, and, and Vandas obviously are prime candidates for this armor, but you got to do what the model say. It's a model company first. And I guess you got to do what you got to do. Did this strike you guys at all? It, it really did because you, had, like I mentioned, they lampshaded it a little bit. But that actually just annoyed me even more. Agreed. <laughs> it, it said something like the rest of the Hallowed Knights were like trying to make him the Lord Commander and trying to get him in Thunderstrike armor. And it's like, uh, it was just like a few months apart. Come on. Someone needs to go kill Garda so he can come back as the Lord Commander in Thunderstrike armor. The problem is, I mean, that wouldn't even do it. They just—they're not going to redo the model, unfortunately. So, like, it, yeah, it, right. what's worse is he also won't get Thunderstrike armor anytime yeah. soon at all. So, not only yeah. does he not get it now, he's not—he's not destined for it, which is also a shame because he's pretty cool. Um, Paul, any other thoughts on that? Uh, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, of course it doesn't. Well, it just, I just—I. I mean, full disclosure, Stormcast are not my favorite. They're they're great. The the narrative thrust that they have and they provide to the game is amazing. But um I have like five thousand points of Stormcast and I gave them to my kids to play with because I just it's not something that really engages me um in my hobby. So it doesn't bother me that it's in not in Thunderstrike armor. Um I, I did paint up that one because I thought the model was so cool. So and, and I haven't painted up any Thunderstrike armor models yet. So obviously, I thought that Vandis's model was super more cooler than all the other Thunderstrike uh, Stormcast <laughs> that came after. So, um, yeah, and it, it's also just you know it is an artifact of the fact that it's a model company first. Um, so, yeah. like the fact that they came out so close, I would have to imagine as some kind of supply driven or whatever issue, or somebody had had that model finished for forever and they needed an excuse to release it. And therefore it just ended up being that their excuse showed up four weeks before they had this whole new box set to do, but it it doesn't bother me, but fine. A well-reasoned argument and I will use to ignore it. I don't, yeah, I don't want (laughs) well-reasoned I want passion. All right. Um, back to my sweet segue that I had to drop, but I'm going to pick it back up. Um, the storm hosts, you guys, I feel like we've been, been beating around the bush, but there's all sorts of storm hosts that add so much flavor uh, to our Stormcast here. Um, I want to hear about your guys' favorite, and I will ask Will. What's your fave? So I am going to jump in with the Tempest Lords. Who? The Tempest Lords are the ones who are like featured in. I don't know if they're featured in a single Black Library novel. Um, Not that I'm aware of. I could be wrong. If they are, they're like the side piece to the main characters. Um, but the the story behind these folks are that almost every single one of them is a former leader or former like nobility. 
They they call themselves the host on high, the blue blooded, the rulers are above. And I just I think it exemplifies part of like what the Stormcast appeal is to me, where every soldier is a hero. They take that to the extreme where every soldier was a king. The lowliest foot soldier of the Stormcast Eternals was worthy of like ruling a kingdom no matter how small. And they will and they still accept their position as the lowliest foot soldier. Um, like they come off as like very proud and arrogant, but I think it's also like a bit of humility, like being able to accept that, that lower position. I really, I think it could have a lot of cool narrative effects if they ever write a book about them. Yeah. I can see why you'd like that. That makes sense. Uh, Paul, what's your fave? Uh, my favorite storm host are the astral Templars. Um, they wear furs and stuff. They're, they're the beast hunters. Um, although as to say, this is a sore point for me. They're my favorite because of Hamilcar and you know, who isn't in this book? Hamilcar. And I miss him because Hamilcar is awesome. And they even have a quote from an Astral Templar who's not Hamilcar. And I just think of all the quotes you could have put that Hamilcar has said in that side thing that would have been amazing, but they didn't. So, yeah. But and the little yeah. emblem, I said the little emblem they have mm-hmm. has a bear on it, and it's yep. like, oh, come on, it's like, please, can we just, can we just do Hamilcar? But let me eat that bear. I know, right? Please let me eat that bear, and then everything will be great. Um, so that's my only like big sore point, but it is, and I wish it wasn't. Um, but the anvils of the held and the hammer are also, I think, pretty cool. Um, they are all uh, souls claimed by Sigmar from the underworlds of Shayish, already numbered along amongst the long dead. So, I think that's a really cool narrative hook and a really cool background for them. So, I I, yeah. I, I, I like that. They are the reason why Nagash is so angry that Sigmar. For stealing his soldiers because they are actually good soldiers. So, but if it wasn't that, he'd have something else to be angry about. To, to, oh yeah, like oh, I can't yeah. just pigeonhole that one. Um, my favorite storm host. It's a little cliche because because it, it's. I mean, everybody loves these guys. Uh, are the hallowed knights what? the the boys in blue and silver? Um, they're. I don't know. I just. I they. In some ways, they stand out to me because they aren't. Um, your typical stormcast in that it's the, the book talks about how stormcasts are, are bred for war. Like every, all of them are meant to be used on the battlefield to, to different degrees, to, to different effects. But like the idea is that they're warriors first and that is true of the hallowed knights, but that wasn't always true of, you know, the people that they were. Um, they are oftentimes though, not always uh, reforged from humans that um, weren't necessarily warriors. They could have been healers or, you know, priests. Um, generally uh, what Sigmar is looking for, for this storm host is for those that are faithful, which we know because of their battle cry, only the faithful. Um, and so if you've ever heard anybody utter that phrase in the, in the age of Sigmar space, it's because you're talking about the hallowed knights. Um, there's very few catchphrases, uh, in the age of Sigmar, but so if they're, if you've got one, it must mean it's a, it's a winner, I guess. Um, that, and the bad moon spoke to me once is also a good, good catchphrase. (laughs) Um, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do they do? Uh, they're, they're concerned because they're, they're 
faithful and not necessarily, um, you know, gung ho warriors. Their their real goal is to like um, purge corruption in the realms, right? They they come from healers and like those who are offering, you know, sucker to the to the, you know the downtrodden. And so they do a lot of purging of corruption, which is pretty legit. We see that in um, the Hell of Knights taking on Gyran. Uh, in the Realm Gate Wars, right? Because it was sort of inf- infected by Nurgle. Hell Knights rolled up the, with the goal of purging that corruption. Um, now, when it, gets to, it comes to this is stuff that I always sort of knew before, but this is now we're getting to the point where the things I didn't know. Um, if we're trying to come up with some sort of negative to the Hell Knights, which is hard to do because they're so great, um, <laughs> what they find, what we're finding now is these days is because of their sort of devotion. Um, and like fervorous dedication to, to Sigmar, they are sort of forming a little bit of a cult of purity. Uh, they think that, you know, their, their faith will get them through, you know, essentially anything. And so they're starting to wear corrupted chaos album uh, emblems with the implication being that like, I'm so dedicated and faithful and that Sigmar will protect me that I don't need to worry about the corruption of these chaos emblems. And I'm sure that's not going to come back to bite them in the butt. And so uh, it sort of takes their perspective to the extreme, which is pretty interesting. Um, And then in terms of uh, what we're seeing from their sort of like a unifying reforging issue is that um, there's talk of some of the hallowed knights when they're getting reforged, they're starting to hear the voice of Sigmar in their head, which is a little weird because Sigmar can just talk to you. He doesn't need to like he doesn't need to like voice in your head. Like he can just he can come knock on your door. He can walk on he can walk on over. Um so it's interesting to think that is this actually the voice of Sigmar? Is it them going a little uh, I don't want to say crazy, because they're, cool they're, they're, they're not crazy. Um, but it is it a relic of their reforging? Um and it's just maybe coincidence that whatever the voice is telling them to do ends up working out in the long run. But like, is that always gonna be true? Or is it just a coincidence that they're leading them on like a justifiable uh path? So maybe the something will come of that in the future. Interesting. Only time will tell. So that's my spiel about the Hallowed Knights, only the faithful. Uh, and Gardas is pretty legit. Um, so that's some of our favorite storm hosts. I'll call out a few others because people had some questions about them. So, for example, there's another storm host called the Knights Excelsior. And Will Lawless on the Discord, patron Will Lawless on the Discord, wanted to know, uh, what does the future hold for Knights Excelsior and their particular brand of moral clarity? I know what he's talking about when he says moral clarity, but for everyone else, what do you guys think he means by moral clarity as it relates to the Knights Excelsior? I think he's talking about how they just slaughter everybody and say, ah, they're evil anyway. Nice. That's if, if that's not moral clarity, I don't know what is. Exactly. Yeah. 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 To the point where when Excelsis was being attacked by Kragnos, they're still sending out Stormcast to go and round up all the chaos-tainted people. Uh, and that was one of my favorite parts at the beginning of uh, the Dominion novel, where they uh, they go out and they're starting to round up people, even though the city is completely destroyed. Well, somebody must be responsible for it. Let's go find those uh, witches and burn them. That's all witches are good for, burn them. Do I think that there's going to be any repercussions? Not particularly. Um why would there be? Yeah. Well, right. it's so, and I think that's actually one of the things I appreciated, which I talked about earlier, where they're starting to have these like treasures or reasons why the faith is slightly different in one city from another. Right. And so I think Excelsis is going to be one of those places where the the reason why pilgrims would come from other places is because of something to do with more faith or purity. Right. And um, 
Yeah, I, I just think it will define the way that the city evolves from here on out. But as far as like, you know, the whole order getting purged or something like that, that's I don't believe that's going to happen. Right on. Uh, Will, do you think we're going anywhere with this uh, moral clarity of the Knights Excelsior? Um, honestly, I, I agree with Paul. I don't really think there's going to be much added on. I do think it's interesting that, and like he had mentioned, the Dominion novel, it could be a thing with Excelsis where a lot of the people who are joining the Crusades were just trying to get out of there. Yeah. Um, like, you know what? I'm just going to walk out those doors. I'm going to risk it because I know these dudes are going to kill me because I stole a candy bar two weeks ago. Like, What are you doing stealing candy bars? Will, come on. We're not, I didn't know I had a thief on my podcast. You know, <laughs> that's another thing. Yeah, that's true. It makes it does make you feel alive. Um, yeah. uh, I th- I think at least for now the story in Excelsis, Excelsis, and uh, thus the Knights Excelsior, I think is uh, probably done for a hot second. They'll probably set that one down, and it's not to say they won't circle back to it, but I think it's carried it's carried a lot of narrative weight thus far, and I think it's it's time to give it a break. Like it was yeah. an issue back when Zinch was sort of taking it over, the, trying to take over the city. There's the White Reaper, like there's that whole storyline. If we keep banging that drum, um, I think it's going to lose some of its effect. And so I think we need to take a step back and maybe focus on some other uh, Stormhosts. Speaking of Stormhost questions, let's ask another one. This time from Magnus, patron Magnus from the Discord. Um, Yes, with everything going on in the mortal realms right now, in your honest opinions, guys, honest opinions, uh, which Stormhost is Daddy Sigmar most proud of at the moment? And the Hammers of Sigmar, right? Yeah, I was going to say Hammers of Sigmar. Um, Yeah. It, it's obvious, but also the 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 punny version of even though they're the poster boys, I think he'd be the most proud because they're swooping in to areas where like the other storm host should be doing things and then doing their job. They they're the ones who swoop down to fight at Amberstone Watch, which is the the starter box for three point oh. They're the ones flying out to Olgu to go to Harrow Deep. So, like, they're, they're not even letting the other people get a chance to do the cool stuff. Yeah, right? It's like uh, playing an RPG where someone is playing everybody else's character for them. Come on, man. Give me a break. I was, get, I was getting there. I was going to do it. Um, oh, well. Aw, shucks. Uh, so, I, I, I agree with you. Paul, do you have a different answer? Oftentimes, you have a different answer for these questions. I, I don't think there is a different answer. Right <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good. Um, this is the first time that we've all, all, all podcast uh podcasters have agreed on a question um nice keep keep lobbing them to us uh audience please give us those easy ones that we can all agree on stuff um and then and then another one as darth alec asks again see i told you he's gonna have a lot of questions tonight uh he says do the storm hosts feel more distinct now do you guys think that the storm hosts feel more distinct now i think so i think they're doing a good job of making them distinct um like you said I didn't realize that these guys actually have a flaw too, where they take chaos stuff and put it on their bodies, right? Like little details like that, I think are cool and can easily be modeled, which I know, I know requires conversion, but super cool. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree. I think they, they are becoming more distinct and even outside of the flaws, like they become more distinct as the rest of the setting gets fleshed out. Like, if you would have told me who the Celestial Warbringers were in the Star Second Edition, I'd have no idea. I still barely do. But now I know they're the people in Olgu who live in Misthaven. 
that didn't exist before, but it does now. And it's, it's starting to cement them. Um, they're also the ones who like are more focused on sacrosanct, whereas the astral Templars are more Vanguard chamber and just like tying them to things as we add more things into the setting will just inherently create those distinctions for us. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that, that calls to mind. Uh, so the one of my storm hosts that I had one of my dudes painted up as is like the Knights of Azir. And like their initial blurb was that they, their goal is to know their prey better than the prey knows themselves. And so it was a knight venator with the bow and arrow. So I'm like, he's, you know, he knows his prey and like he's a hunter. That makes a lot of sense. That's why I have him painted in this color. Uh, but then it's evolved such that the, the, the Knights of Azir are now uh, searchers of knowledge and they work with the, the elves uh, in Hish. Uh, like elven scholars to like seek out knowledge, which is a completely, not completely, it's a, it's a uh, evolution in a completely different direction than what I would have initially thought as, you know, they're, they're, you know, prey hunters as opposed to, you know, literally knowledge hunters. Um, so there is room to sort of evolve uh, those storm hosts um, as well. Uh, one other thing I'll say is that I, I didn't, I don't necessarily think I, the storm host always to some degree felt more distinct um, for me. Like I, this book didn't necessarily change my opinion of it, but I think what will continue to make them feel more distinct down the line is those stories that we get featuring characters in those storm hosts, um, I think do a great job of differentiating the, the storm host. Hamilcar is much different than Gardas, which is much different than, you know, Vandis or Barthas Arum or whatever, um, Arun, um, in that, you can tell me all, you can describe them all you want to me to try and separate them out. But like, it's going to be the characters in the stories that really are going to cement who those storm hosts are. And I think um, that's only going to get sort of expanded on as time goes on. Uh, I would also add that I don't necessarily, now that I'm thinking about it, know that they did a better job of making the storm hosts distinct. But I think we as readers have now have a much better understanding of where all of the places are yeah. that these primary storm keeps are and because we know the realms better they are far more distinct in our head because we know the knights excelsior are from excelsis and we know what happened in excelsis right we know the, and and that's the thing that actually makes them more distinct in my head is you know that the hammers of sigmar are in hammerhall and I understand what that means together in my head because those make sense to me. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Um, all right, so that's bringing us to the end of some of our standardized questions. Do you guys have any other freeform jazz-type uh, points of interest that you wanted to bring up that you wanted to chat about before we start closing them out? Nah. Nope. <laughs> oh, nice. Covered all of my notes that yeah. I totally have. I think I'll I'll continue the trend. I'll just we'll just we'll keep trucking along. Um, a, a good way to one of the final things worth bringing up is uh, is highlighting any black library stories that we feel exemplify uh, the faction um, and really give a good slice of life, a good view into you know how the faction operates. And, and do you guys have any black library stories you want to chat about or recommend um, featuring the Stormcast? My, there are a lot of them. Yeah, um, I will talk about Storm Vault which is a really cool story about, I mean, the titular Storm Vault uh, and possible lost relics. But the reason I wanted to call it out is in relation to the Stormcast, it's the first time 
I'm slowly trying to remember which storm host, but like you had said, celestial vindicators, right? Yeah, celestial vindicators. Yep. Uh, So, like you said, like you need a character to cement like what that faction means to you. I had no idea like what the celestial vindicators or their thing really was until I read that novel and got to see it from the point of view of someone within that group. So if you want to learn more about Stormcast and specifically the Storm host, I think it's a good book to pick up. Yeah, we read that as a little book club that we did. Yeah, we did. Delightful. We should, we should do that again. Um, yeah, I, right. I, I agree. Uh, Paul, did you have any Black Library stories you wanted to highlight or recommend? Yeah, go on, on the internet and type in Hamilcar and find the books with Hamilcar in it and read those because <laughs> they're awesome. Uh, and then when you're done... Circle back around, read him again. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Uh, so he's an astral templar. He's he exemplifies all that that means. Um, and uh, for my money, the best best character in the mortal realms. My recommendation. Um, so Hamilcar obviously is the right is the right answer all the time. Um, but I'll also throw in um, a, a more recent one. It's it's good if you want to learn about sort of the the present day stormcast, and that's Thunderstrike, which is actually a novella by Richard Strachan, Strachan um, from the Thunderstrike and Other Stories compilation. Um, it's about a, a group of Thunderstrike uh, clad uh, stormcast in Gur. Um, uh, he, the author is quickly becoming one of my favorite authors uh, in Black Library, and he does a, a great job of um, sort of writing the introspection of, of these Stormcasts and gives you an insight uh, into, you know, sort of who they are as, like, I'll say people, like literally people. Um, one of the questions that we didn't get to is someone was asking about, are there examples of Stormcasts sort of showing their humanity? I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and this story is a great example um, of that. And then furthermore, because I'm the last one talking, I get to just add as many as I want. Since I love the Hallowed Knights, there is the Hallowed Knights series by Josh Reynolds. There's a whole bunch of stories. Um, go check out themoralrealms.com where I've, I've spelled them all out. I've listed them all out. Uh, but it follows Gardas and his warrior chamber through all sorts of different adventures it weaves all throughout the reynolds verse quote unquote um showing off uh this the the stormcast in the hallowed nights in all their glory and all the antics that they get up to um probably one of the best series in in uh age of sigmar fiction and so with that we finally get to our final our, our reviews our thoughts on the book on the battle tome as a whole um we're gonna pull we're gonna pull not gonna pull any more punches um, lay it on me. Let's let's lead with Paul, so you can show Will how to do it. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed this uh, battle tome a lot more than I thought I was. Um, I thought I was going to have a lot more fun uh, looking at the orc battle tome, um, which I did enjoy. But uh, this one, like I said, almost every single paragraph was like, "Oh, that's something I hadn't thought about," or "Oh, I didn't realize that that was quite how that had played out." Um, I, I did not expect to have like, you know, four pages on the Dawnbringer Crusades, which is something I'm super interested in. So like, that was also amazing. There's just so much content and I enjoyed reading pretty much everything. Uh, so I, yeah, I definitely give it eight spider legs out of eight cause it, it was super enjoyable. It increased my understanding of a lot of different things. And it also, I feel like it pushed the narrative forward quite a bit as well. So enjoyed it. Right on. Uh, well, now you, now you know how to do it. Well, uh, yeah. what do you got? So I I also really enjoyed this. I I definitely thought that like every every page had something great, but like reading it for this podcast and refreshing it wasn't the first time I had read it. And the first time I read it, I almost felt like 
almost overwhelmed because there is so much because the story of the Stormcast is the story of the Age of Sigmar. And I felt like we we're rushing through it. And so like that's why every paragraph has like an amazing tidbit because that tidbit could be like a whole book somewhere else. Uh, and that's like the, the only critique is there is so much good stuff. Um, but in the end, it is all super enjoyable. So I'm going to give it nine out of 12 great bolts of Sigmar. You, that, that, you son of a, that was my, ah. how dare you? <laughs> yeah. <okay>. <laughs> he comes <laughs> on and he steals. I, got you. I saw that. Uh, I saw that coming. Got him. Hashtag got him. All right. Um, I am torn on this battle tome. So this is actually the first Stormcast battle tome I've read since the very first one. So six, five battle tomes ago. I think it came out in 2015. So this is, um, however, if you read anything, not anything, if you read m- most things uh, in the Age of Sigmar, they're all kind of the Stormcast battle tomes, right? Like all of it sort of contributes to what the Stormcast battle tome is. So I feel like, um, at least going into this, I thought I hadn't missed much. I knew what there was to know, and I didn't know that there's going to be too much more to learn in this in this book. Um, I will say. Even looking backwards, not even focusing on like the AOS 3.0 stuff, there was plenty to learn that I didn't know about that I sort of glossed over. I heard people reference, but I didn't necessarily know what it, you know, what it meant or what its ramifications were. And that sort of stuff, uh, retrospectively, I actually loved. Like it filled in a lot of space in those things that I that I had thought I had known before. Right? It's that stuff that filled in the blanks um, previously. Uh, loved it. I thought that was great. However, guys, however, oh. I don't necessarily like the direction that they're going with this stuff. Um, it's, I feel like I've lost a lot of steam talking about it because this book has been out for a while. We've we've known the direction that Stormcast are going in, in 3.0 for a while. And so I feel like I've been talking in different channels ad nauseum about all the things I don't like about it. So the edge is sort of worn off a little bit. Suffice it to say, um, it, it seems as if this 3.0 version of Stormcast is, was intended to be a reboot without actually having to pay the price of a reboot, which is to say you get to keep everything that came before, but we're all not invalidating. It, it's clearly not invalidating the stuff that came before, but it's as soft a, re- a reboot as, as they come. And it definitely demarks a sort of new direction and clearly leaves a lot of the stuff not completely behind, but like there is a, there is a then and now. Um, so to speak. And I don't like that. I don't like new bucks sort of creating that then and now. I like a continuation. I like a clean evolution. Um, and that, it doesn't feel that way with this. And now I'm curious. My, my opinion may change going forward. Now, if if all they do is Thunderstrike and Thunderstrike-esque stuff going in the future, I'm going to continue to feel this same way, that we had five years, six years of history that they're sort of just leaving behind and going in a completely different direction. It seems like they didn't need to do that. I don't know what the right answer is, but it didn't seem like, I don't feel like it needed to be that. If they are true to their word and sort of scattered throughout this book, they talk about how those with Thunderstrike aren't looking down on those without Thunderstrike and that they're supposed to be supplementary and they're supposed to be sort of intermixed and spiced in um, the storm host and it's there are still very clear roles for that old guard uh old guard us uh so to speak uh, um, in, in, in the stormcast and if they hold true to that then i think maybe i could be won over and that like this is yet an, an just a different variation in the same way that sacrosanct is different in the same way that the um, vanguard or like extremists are different if you if you can prove to me that that's true going forward then maybe i won't care as much but I don't think they're going to do that. I think Thunderstrike is the way to go. And um, this, this you know, five year, and, and it's a heavy five years. Like it, it is a weighty full five years of Stormcast that they're 
I'm afraid they're going to leave behind. And I don't, I don't like that. Mine is not, that's not for me. So, um, I have a question for you. Shoot. Don't literally shoot. If this was the way that Stormcast looked when they released five years ago, would you have liked the Stormcast? Yes. And actually that's a very good point. And one I had meant to brought up, but I'd forgotten. Um, the new models are awesome. This is a clear example of model company first. And I love the new look and, I wish all of I wish it had always looked this way, and then of course I wouldn't have, we wouldn't be in this situation, right? Uh, they wouldn't need to reboot it because it would always sort of had this aesthetic. Um, I I made the joke of I feel like I've been harping on the Sigmarine thing too much. I, I normally don't even care about this sort of stuff, but the idea it, it's I could see how you could always make that connection between those um, poster boy type armies and their each of their IPs, right? This new direction they're going is such a departure from marines but then also then the departure from the stormcast that we know um i can see why they do it it makes a lot of sense if i were in their shoes i would be maybe forced to make the same decision but it doesn't mean i have to like it um but (laughs) short answer to your short question yes i would love i would have loved if they would always look this way like the like just the the infantry looks so cool um so it's a shame that it had to come to this i guess anyways that's that um the, the new models look awesome and i loved sort of all the things that I would have been reading over the past five years, like up until that point, I really, I really love that story. And I love, we've been saying a lot tonight and I feel like it's now going to be my, it's going to echo in my head quite a bit, but the history of the Stormcaster, the history of the Age of Sigmar, they're, they're, yeah. they are the same. And um, you get such a breadth of knowledge by reading, you know, about the, the Stormcast, well, which I love. So for that, I'm all for it. Plus if you play in the army, you got to buy the book anyway. So, so be it. Um, all right. There's that. Any other final thoughts before we close it out? My brain is empty. There are no thoughts. <laughs> shake it. There will be no sound. All right. Here it comes. Get ready. Brace yourself. It's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord. Drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Paul, where can they find you on the internet? At PJ Shard. PJ S C H A R D. Ooh, nice. Will, where can they find you online? They can find me at Severalon, S-E-V-V-I-R-E-L-O-N. And you can also find Paul, myself, and Spencer at Path to Story, which is, again, our our narrative play Age of Sigmar podcast. Smart move. Uh, and I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at Dosesos. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, not a competition, but look how big those waveforms are. Damn. So juicy <laughs> and full. It's not the size of the waveform, it's how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> Something about motion of the ocean, right? I feel like there's a way to really yeah. link those two together. Yeah, it's in there. Let's bite the bullet and get it, uh, get in there, get our hands dirty. Um, I can't stop talking. Get me out of this. Um, but <laughs> please help. Yeah, I, I need to hold just up. If we were doing video, I'd hold up a sign like, "Please stop me from talking." Um, <laughs> but. Uh,